I just want to double check. So this is Rumble 95 we're doing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, thank Christ for that. <laughs> oh, can you imagine watching this shower of shit? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's 94. Oh, no. Okay, so this is the Random Wrestling Review, the first ever episode of this podcast, and we have got a, an absolutely groundbreaking concept for you. Three white guys, get this, talking about, you won't believe it, pro wrestling. Never been done before. Clearly never been done before. Um, I should introduce the hosts of the show. First of all, myself, I'm Ben Spindler, and I am joined by two of the biggest reprobates um, we could find uh, first of all, we've got Old Man, or Sam Kerry. Sam, how you doing? I'm good, Ben. I'm good, Ben. I'm, 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 I'm glad to be here. I managed to stop reprobating for however long this takes, but I don't take too long because um, I'm getting a little, a, a little rambunctious. A little rambunctious? Yeah. For, for what? For what? What could you be getting rambunctious for? Uh, we're not even in the same room. <laughs> well, just, just causing trouble, causing mischief, really. Yeah, and, and to move on to our next show I'm, wow yeah uh, i'm excited to get going mischief maker um and we're also joined by tom smith i haven't got a fancy name for you tom that's fine i'm just reprobating one out right now actually so it doesn't really matter don't need one the man with no name <laughs> well you have got a name just not you know <laughs> yeah, but the, the problem is you i've come to the conclusion like throughout the course of my life that my name is so generic and boring <laughs> yeah. so it's basically impossible to make a nickname out of it so if we do end up with any listeners which I, i'm not really anticipating um i uh if they can come up with you know some random name entries then maybe we can work that into it perhaps uh, we do need one for you because tom smith's just not going to do is it no and I, I get in many jobs when i've worked in customer uh customer service they've so many people have said to me, especially when they're complaining, they're like, okay, well, what's your name? And I go, Tom Smith. And they're like, no, your real name. <laughs> genuinely my name. To be fair, if the, the, the worst thing that's going on is the fact that you've got a generic name. You're doing all right, aren't you? I suppose yeah. so. I suppose so. So um, we're, we're going to be um, talking today about the Royal Rumble 1995. Um, and I want to ask a question really at this point, because why the fuck have we chosen this one to start with? And I'm going to direct that to old man because he just started watching it. And then I kind of said, let's do a podcast about it. So really, the question is, old man, why did you want to watch this, this pay-per-view? Well, I mean, this won't surprise anyone that three wrestling fans don't make all their money off of this first episode of a podcast. So I was working a couple of days ago and I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch a Royal Rumble because it's, it's that season we're recording this on the 10th of January. So we're three weeks away from the 2021 Royal Rumble. And I thought I'm going to pick one at random. In 1995, came up. I was drawn in by the... Quite odd, given it's January, the sunset scene that is advertised on the WWE Network. And I thought, you know what, I'll have a little watch of that. And then I thought I'd tell you two about it. <laughs> you know what I noticed on the WWE Network? Because I went on there to watch it after you you know, said you were watching it. And then we decided to do the podcast. Is that they've got like a big thing, a big, uh, you know, it's Royal Rumble season. Here's all the Royal Rumbles. Explore the Royal Rumble. And Royal Rumble 95 is about third from last 
in yeah. terms of the ones they've they've yeah. they've got every other Royal Rumble before it pretty much and then is the, they're obviously trying to bury it they're, they're like don't watch this one but we kind of we still have to put it up there just in case anyone's stupid enough to go and find it I mean as we'll get into it's a classic <laughs> it's just got everything that I remember from my childhood so this is a this is another question for me actually to you old man. Sorry about this, Tom. It's turned into a one on one here, and you're just yeah. gonna have to accept it. Yeah, um, let's go fuck myself in the court. <laughs> you, you already have been. You've been reprobated before we came on, apparently. <laughs> um, the um, what was I gonna say? Um, yeah. When did you first get into wrestling? Oh, it was. It would have been 1990 or 91, I think. I can remember borrowing the a video of the 1988 Royal Rumble from someone who lived on my nan street and watching that. And it was me, my mum and my two sisters watched it. And we just absolutely loved it. Men coming down at random intervals. So my mum was loving it. And then <laughs> just, oh, it was just tremendous. And then like, I watched that back a few years ago. That's terrible. 89 is the one with the super pose down, isn't it? Yeah, really uh, 88 is the one that I watched, which is the one that's not even a pay-per-view. Yeah. It yeah. was just like, and basically they cut to the commentators at the end and people are just leaving. <laughs> Left the arena. <laughs> it's so depressing, but my word, what a time. Well, well, talk about depressing. Um, one of the things I did notice about the Royal Rumble 95, going back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about, is the the fact that there are a shitload of empty seats in the Sundome in Florida. Um, the official attendance was 10,000, apparently. Now, I don't know how many people fit into the Sundome, but I bet you it's... Well, the capacity apparently is 10,400, but there is no way there's only 400 um, free speech seats. They've definitely... What Do you know what, what that arena hosts generally? Uh, I don't. In fact, it's got um, it's. Let's have a look. I'm just checking on Wikipedia really quickly. Uh, yeah, it looks it's like, like it'll be a major league. It's not like a, a basketball team, is it? Like an NBA team. It looks like it's just gymnastics. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Oh no, hang on. Home to men and women's basketball and volleyball teams, but none, no major league ones. I don't no think. major. No. And maybe it's like a university team or something like that. Um, <laughs> do you know what though? Like it was looking into the um. Yeah, the crowd and everything. Like speaking of the crowd, it was, there was. It, you're right. There were quite a lot of empty seats in it, but there are some real characters that really, really stuck out to me. And there's one in particular that I don't know if you know. It's on the hard camera side. Oh, so here we go. Let's see. But it's a bloke, and I don't know what he's wearing on his bottom half, but all he's wearing on his top half <laughs> is a gold waistcoat. Yeah. It's magnificent, and yeah. it's really stuck in, especially in the Brett Diesel match. He's loving it at one point, leaning over, patting Brett on the back. Brett's not interested. It's magnificent. <laughs> no, that's the thing, though. On the hard camera side in particular, there's only one moment in one of the matches where they show that side of the arena, and there's just no one there. It's like only the first three rows, and that's it. And it's just really? like yeah. nearly all empty, the rest of it. Um, but even on the even on the side that you can see most of the time, there are loads of there are loads of empty seats. But yeah, I did notice. Uh, I did notice gold. <laughs> Gold man. That's what I'm going to call him. Gold man. Well, do you know what? Like, to, to be fair, it's not a surprise considering the absolute wasteland of characters and gimmicks that we're going to talk about in the Rumble. 
that's right that's true that is true and um so let's let's do this what, you know, let's start by giving our try not to go into too many specifics but you know in terms of let's start with you tom what's your overall kind of take on the show you know not that you've made it clear already but you know do, do you know what it, six to one half dozen of, i liked the kind of the nostalgia for it i think I think I must admit at the time, I think I was, when it, when it happened, I would have been on a little bit of a break. I think my kind of there's a period between like 94 and like 96 where I kind of like dipped out of it when I was younger. So I'm not too familiar with all these shows, but I remember a lot of the characters from that era anyway. Um, so it was quite nostalgic. All in all, it, it wasn't terrible. Like the actual I enjoyed most of the actual matches on the show, apart from the Rumble match, which is weird because the Royal Rumble for me is always really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And and old man, your your kind of summary? I kind of agree with Tom. I don't um I don't like the title match. Uh the um the Bret Hart Diesel match particularly. But yeah, with Tom with the Rumble, I don't know this, but the Rumble seems to only last about forty minutes as well. Like yeah. really short, so I'm guessing they weren't doing the old ninety seconds. For someone come in because people seem to come in very fast and i mean we'll get into it but there was a phase where i was watching it i didn't have a clue who anyone was i was, <laughs> I was, I was quite confused especially when Shawn michaels came out yeah 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 i mean who's he who's his upstart yeah who's he what has he done and why has he got such amazing hair oh to be honest the main thing that struck me was is right at the start i think this is what because very often I'll put something on and then I'll turn it off. But what got me was at the start, you get the all-star number-plated limousine turn up. And what maybe one of the Hebner brothers comes out the driver's side, or he looks like one of them, opens the door, big Pamela Anderson's there, lovely old job. But just as this pulling in, you've got Dink the Clown, calls everyone out, calls everyone out so that they can come and like have a little have a little flirt with her and on it, the state of the people that turn up so you've got king mabel uh, he's not even king by this point oh, it's just mabel. mabel yeah the the godwins are there uh, there's only one godwin at this point as well <laughs> oh yeah it's the it's the massive one um <laughs> who else is it oh yeah doink turns up yeah, well, the one I noticed was Tatanka because he gets That's very a, leery. He gets very leery yes, straight away. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a a you know potential Me Too catastrophe there, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you look in the background, you can see like Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey in the background <laughs> being all creepy and letty around people. It's yeah. really, it, you know, it's one of those things. I know it's all kind of innocent and also joke, but like, could you imagine what she must have thought at the time? Yeah. Probably, she's probably on the court of Vince Man saying, oh, listen, we're going to get you in. We're going to do a couple of vignettes. You know, we're going to some of them might be a little bit edgier, a little bit racy. But, you know, you're up, you, you know, it's all that, aren't you, anyway, and sort of thing. And then she just gets out of the car and then there's that rogues gallery of just goons. There, it's going, eh. You know what I mean? <laughs> She'd just be like, what the fuck is this? What is this madness that I've got on my side? I thought Hasselhoff was bad. <laughs> and then later on, old Todd Pettengill, whose mother, I mean, oh. this is 1995. <laughs> Mullets weren't a thing, were they still? I, don't I, don't, I think they were in wrestling, nowhere else, just yeah. wrestling. I'll, I'll be honest, so we can come back to this a little bit a little bit later, right? I'm, I'm not exaggerating this at all. Todd Pettengill's mullet 
really upset me. <laughs> it was it was so it's so gross. It's it genuinely it looks like it looks like someone slapped like a dead fish on the back of his head or something. It's genuinely disturbing. Uh-huh. So you could say it's Todd Petten Gill. Oh hello. Uh, yeah, we, we could. <laughs> It's an early one. It's an early one. Um, yeah, no, I, the, the whole thing, the whole thing is a bit weird. And you know what? There's the other bit where um, even when she's being escorted back to the from the ring and to the ring, I think it's by like Jerry Briscoe or someone. Even then, it still feels a bit uncomfortable. Like there's there's about four of them, these old yeah. bes- besuited men like surrounding her. I think ostensibly to try and like stop the crowd from touching her, but they in doing so also make me feel uncomfortable yeah. I, I don't know if you got that too right at the end Pat Patterson's there and he's next to her and he's got like hold of her arm and obviously Pat's not going to be a threat to her especially now and uh he uh, yeah he's like talking to her and she's like what and then he's like hey, hey, hey. And he's, <laughs> What? Is that, what? Is that what is that what you were saying? Were you lip reading? Oh, well, to be honest, it, it looks like it because she just looks confused by everything. And this is a woman who's just spent time with Todd Pettingale and his repugnant mother. <laughs> and all those amazing gifts that she gets oh. given. Um, not one of which I can actually remember now. Like but, Todd Pettingale des- he describes it really weird thing. It's like a big like heart with roses attached to it and it's, it sounds really really bizarre it doesn't he really... call it like a horseshoe of roses that's or something? It. yeah yeah a horseshoe with roses You're like... and, and some sardines from the bushwhackers that's it that's it <laughs> <laughs> i guarantee that that's the gift she got the most use out of like at least she can eat them like there's nothing else of use there i reckon the bushwhackers had the best gift uh best gift to, to pamela anderson um in terms of my thoughts, my kind of overall thoughts is I kind of echo a little bit what both of you said. Tom, I think you've you've for me hit it on the nail on the head. I think the the undercard is all pretty decent in general. Um, the rumble is dog shit, and probably certainly I can't think of a rumble worse than this one. Um, and I think the problem though with the overall card is even the undercard, all the matches end with really like like just cheap finishes or or yeah. kind of like the Jarrett Razor Ramon match ends in a bit of a like silly way and so does the and obviously Diesel and Bret Hart we'll get to that um and so I just think you know so I think that even the stuff that's pretty decent is kind of let down by the way it was booked um and yeah the rumble they just they rattle through it so quickly the entire match takes 38 minutes and the reason is is because they brought them in every 60 seconds um I think Vince McMahon at one point does touch upon it he sort of says this is going to be the fastest rumble of all time um but yeah they did they they reduced the time gaps to 60 seconds for each entrant so where should we where should we start i guess we should start with the opener shall we jeff jarrett against razor bone intercontinental championship match um 18 minutes this match was razor Ramon going in as champion um any any first thoughts on this one um so I'd like to give a shout out to my MVP of the entire pay-per-view as well. Right. This one, and that's the Rudy. Okay. The Rudy is absolute gold on the outside of that ring. He is absolutely magnificent. He's he's doing everything. If you, could, I, I ended up watching quite a significant amount of the match. Was I was just focusing on him, just going <laughs> around the ring, interacting, winding people up, and stuff like that. And 
he was just those little bits like at the beginning of the match when like he does like um I don't know it's like some series of moves where Jeff Jarrett get, comes out on top and he does the strut and <laughs> Rudy does it with him yeah perfectly. just and he's just really really entertaining and obviously he gets involved a little bit later on and has a hand in the match and stuff like that but I just I he was the he was very entertaining during that match for me and that was why he was my MVP of the of the entire pay per view because he just stuck out to me as someone who's just really getting involved and to be honest it's probably the best use of him as well. <laughs> you didn't you didn't think the New Age Outlaws was uh, was eventually the best use of him? New Age Outlaws were cool, but I think he could have really made something of himself. He stuck as a as a, <laughs> as a, a roadie. Jeff Jarrett. He had a great career as somebody's second if yeah. he, if he just kept well, doing that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, the match the match was cool. Again, a bit of a schmoz finish. The the kind of the the match ending on a count out and then restarting. But so this is a period where, and to be fair, it still happens now. Well, you realise how absolutely dumb and stupid babyface WWE wrestlers are. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean, because he basically, he, Razor Ramon's walking off, he's injured, and then all of a sudden, the only reason he turns around is because Jeff Jarrett calls him a chicken. It's very shades of Marty McFly he in is. that aspect. And you're like, and it happened, there's, there's a theme throughout the pay-per-view as well of, of babyfaces being stupid. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the match in, in total. It was, it was quite fun. Both decent workers. And and again, if we're, this is going to be a very hair-focused pay-per-view. <laughs> My lord, Jeff Jarrett's hair is phenomenal. The volume. The volume on that man's hair. It took me a while to get what was so phenomenal about it. It's not wet. No. At no point is it wet. <laughs> it's so rare to see a wrestler's hair dry at the start of a match. The Random Wrestler's Hair Review Show. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what. As well, I'd forgotten how enormous Scott Hall is. Yeah. And his, yeah. his punches, my words. I think yeah. because you're so used to seeing him with Kevin Nash. Yeah. You kind of forget how fucking massive. And how much of a great worker he was as well. Like, yes. And this is probably him. Like, again, not the biggest wrestling knowledge ever. But this, for me, is like him in his prime you know, because after he got after he got went to WCW and he was with Kevin Nash and they were the outsiders, he got on the source a bit, didn't he? A bit more, didn't he? And you know, yeah. I mean, his, his work was really, really affected. But like, this is him at his best, in my opinion. I'm I sure some will say, oh, his AWA stuff is better, but I think that's fair. I think that's a fair summary. I mean, he, he this period, in, I think actually just slightly before this is where he hit his absolute peak in terms of popularity, certainly in the WWF. I mean. WCW were doing better numbers when he was big in WCW, so there is that. But in terms of his singles run as a pro wrestler, like this is without a doubt his his peak time. And uh, I think he just gets massively underrated because he was in a tag team with Kevin Nash. Mm. Like you just kind of because they were the outsiders, everyone kind of just bundles them together, and then everyone thinks of Kevin Nash because he was really really oddly just simply because he was maybe a couple of inches taller, the bigger star. But yeah. Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, far better worker than Kevin Nash by did, by a distance. Yeah, and did he ever win a t- like a chat world heavyweight championship? I don't no, think he did. Not did a world it? title, no, not a world title, no. Weird. So it just yeah, so I mean he he um yeah he just gets criminally criminally underrated because of that. And as I say, like in every way, he's a better wrestler than Kevin Nash, even to the point where I would argue that. Diesel really only became popular because they booked him quite well. If they'd just done the same booking for Razor Owen, he'd, he'd, have, he'd have been easily bigger than Kevin Nash and, and would have been able to hold up his end of main event matches. Yeah, um, 
but the, the, again, the big difference I find between these two, if you watch it both in both of their matches, and again we'll touch on it when we talk about the, the title match, the, the heavyweight title match. But there's a clinic in how to sell a leg injury from Scott Hall in the way that Kevin Nash just doesn't. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Kevin Nash just keeps forgetting about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I'm pretty sure he just keeps forgetting that he's supposed to be working, you know, got a working leg injury. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, I think I think both of these guys are really good here, but I have got to be I got to get on my high horse a little bit about Jeff Jarrett because look, don't go wrong, this is a decent match and Jarrett holds his end up no problem. I think though that Jarrett, because of the time he was in TNA and he owned the company, but because to a certain generation of wrestling fans, I think Jeff Jarrett might be the most overrated wrestler in the like in the last thirty years, like. He's got like a bit of a reputation amongst some fans as being a main event drawing kind of star world champion level star. And he's never been that at any point in his career un- unless he himself was effectively in control of the book. The only other time it ever happened for him for him was the last year of WCW's um, Russo. existence when Vince Russo was booking him and Vince Russo was his best mate. Um, and plus the company was being run into the ground at the same time. So, you know, you like, so for me, just it, I, I, it really kind of frustrates me when people think of him as somebody who was kind of a draw. He, he was never a draw. And he, even during his TNA run, he wasn't a draw. TNA ultimately was insignificant compared to WWE. And, and partially that was because Jeff Jarrett was in the main events. But I felt like I really needed to get that in because because there this is where this is for me where Jeff Jarrett should have been. You're sort of mid yeah. mid card fighting for a mid-card championship and he's you know he's a perfectly consistent good wrestler he's just not in any way spectacular whatsoever no you, i think you're right sorry i, I realized that old man hasn't said anything for ages but th- th- you're perfectly right that is this is this is his level this is where he needs to be i, I it's funny you you say that because you said it really annoys me when you hear people say that jeff jarrett think of jeff jarrett as a main event cl- caliber wrestler and draw but I, I mean, again, going back to my kind of not having much interaction with wrestling or wrestling fans outside of a WWE bubble, I've never heard anyone say they think Jeff <laughs> should be should be red. And if I did, I don't think I'd listen to them talk. Well, I think, as I said, I think it's a certain generation of fan possibly who got into wrestling around 2006, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And Jeff Jarrett by that point was the TNA world champion, and so. And don't forget that TNA was a bit bigger here than, it, you know, proportionally than it was in, in America, like in terms of the number of people, number of wrestling fans watching TNA as a proportion of the population was bigger here than it was in America. So, you know, there is there is sort of a generation of mainly British fans who think of Jeff Jarrett as a bit bit bigger of a deal than he really ever was. Oh, well, man. Because, uh, Jeff Jarrett's my hero. <laughs> I, I I have three double J tattoos on me. I think what his his um people putting him up on this pedestal. It starts when he cuts his hair. Stupid, <laughs> stupid. Because when you've got that hair and those tops as well, I thought um to be honest, going back to the actual match, I thought it was great. I thought yeah. as well um it kind of really brought home. Jerry Lawler and how good he was on commentary with Vince because he just kind of shuts Vince down a couple of times as well. He kind of like stops him going off. He just goes, shut up, man. (laughs) And uh, there's a great, (laughs) obviously during the match, uh, Razor Ramon goes outside selling his left knee like an absolute champ. 
and then the roadie chop blocks him from behind and they show the replay at the end of the match and Jerry Lawler says oh no I can see he 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 was just picking up his sunglasses because <laughs> that's the chop blocks and his sunglasses come off I was laughing me off about that and at the actual end I quite like as well is a bit of a crappy roll up but it must be auto roll up a six foot six man yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I just, I would have, I would have preferred the because obviously the end comes when Razor tries to get him up for the Razor's Edge and his knee get buckles from underneath him, yeah. and then Jeff Jarrett just small packages him. I would have just liked Jarrett to just maybe hit him one more time in the knee to kind of sell the idea that he was able to pin him. It just felt a little bit flat as an ending, like it just didn't really flow the quite the way I'd like it to have flown. Flowed was that flown? Flowed? <laughs> flowed? Flowed? <laughs> I, I can't remember what happens afterwards. So what respect? If there's a fallout. So well, yeah, the, the fallout is they end up wrestling each other for the next five months, basically. Lovely. <laughs> they, they end, but what, what I find odd about this is that after the match finishes, and forgive me if I'm jumping in a little bit, they go to someone called, is it Stephanie Wyatt? Stephanie Wyand. With Wyand. A D. Who the fuck is that? Yeah. yeah, she was only around for a really short amount of time, and I can't. I got a feeling she was either related or something to someone. Like it wasn't just. Oh, I don't know. Oh, the the chances are she was related or something to someone in the whole. <laughs> Some like the likelihood of her being uh, not related to anything. It's very small indeed. Well, that's true. Um, but you never know, though. You never know. But I think she was related to someone. Uh, no, I don't. Someone, someone else within the WWE um, kind of, you know, company. She was only there for like six months. She really wasn't around for very long. Um, but and she, and she was pretty rubbish, quite frankly. Good bloody job, because she's crap. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, no, good match. Um, I think what says it all really is I thought to myself that I really like, I thought to myself, God, that was a really good first seven, eight minutes of that match before Rody kind of chop blocked him. And then it was decent after that, but it must've been actually about 11 or 12 minutes because the whole match is 18 in total. So it shows out like it just flew by. I thought the first, the first part of the match anyway, before the count out was excellent. And then after that it was fine. So yeah, thumbs up, I think is fair to say on everybody's part. According to uh, Wik- uh, IMDb, mm-hmm. she played Agent Priscilla Packwood in Revenge of the Bimbot Zombie Killers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that screams bonus episode, guys. I think that's what that screams. <laughs> um, wow, there you go. I didn't know she was an actress. I, I just, you know, oh, well, mm, you yeah, know. yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, that is a classic role. Yeah. Don't you besmirch the what was the name of the character? Oh, I can't remember. I've closed the page now. Oh, um, but what, I... what was what was funny about that interview is that she kind of goes in. She calls him Razor Ramon for a start. That's good. Um, which is not which is not great. And then um and then she kind of starts asking him. He just yells over her because he obviously just can't be bothered and then walks yeah. off. It's really really unsettling, yeah. bizarre interview. Yeah, she's she's not good. She was not good. To her. And she's like, oh, I'm just uh, just waiting for Jeff Jarrett to turn up. And then they cut to Todd and his mother and Pamela Anderson. And then they do the do do the old gift scene, I think. Yes. Yeah. So after this, we've got um, 
The Undertaker versus Erwin R. Scheister. 12-minute match. And, I mean, goodness me. Who wants a starter? Oh, man, why didn't you start seeing as you were? This match, when I watched it, gave me a new appreciation for The Undertaker. Because I always, my image of early to early mid to early late 90s Undertaker is that he's kind of a bit rubbish, to be honest. Don't really sell anything. Don't really do much. But he sounds like an absolute champ. Everything that happens in this. She's obviously got, well, IRS is, I mean, the amount he's sweating <laughs> before they even start. He does the awful drop kick in the corner as the Undertaker turns around to give his hat to someone, I think it is. And uh, he basically messes up the drop kick. Undertaker sells at him. From then on, Undertaker's putting an absolute shift in. But <laughs> the match is absolute dirt. <laughs> oh, it's just... It's just... like we're, We'll get to the end, but obviously it's just setting up for WrestleMania, which... As watching the event standalone, what happens at the end? I won't won't ruin it for the listeners quite yet. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry about spoilers, mate. It happened twenty one years, thirty twenty five, thirty twenty six years ago. Uh, yeah, I just yeah, all right. <laughs> King Kong Bundy comes down. Yeah. So the Undertaker's been attacked by two druids which get a lot of mention, so I'm guessing they were an ongoing thing. Yeah. One of the druids is oddly only wearing pants underneath his arm because he takes a bump and there's legs everywhere. And I'm pretty sure they're wearing knee pads as well, which leads me to believe they might be a wrestler and not a druid. <laughs> and, well, wait, hang on, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you suggesting that they aren't actually druids? Well, like, obviously other times they are when they come out with The Undertaker, but... Perhaps because they didn't come with The Undertaker. And also, obviously, like the MVP of the match, apart from The Undertaker's selling, Paul Bearer, and just the oh. noises he makes. Just every now and then you just hear in the background, and you're like, who's he doing that to? Yeah, that's the thing. That's what's amazing about him. He's not hamming it up for the camera or any well he, he does when he when he notices the camera's near him but and he look he'll look, look to the camera and stuff like that but he he is just there in the background just being so entertaining um guy has a question going back to irs yeah why is the million dollar man friends with a tax man <laughs> now, i either thought so there's other two conclusions there's other two things so one he surely he wouldn't want him to be paying taxes or he wouldn't want to be paying taxes if you're going to think of him as like i don't know like a jeff bezos or a you know or a rupert murdoch or someone like that type of man like entrepreneur with loads of money a prick basically yeah yeah, yeah. but or does he, and does he keep irs around because he'll irs knows the loopholes i think I mean, look, everyone who joined the Million Dollar Corporation was said to have sold out, right? So I think the truth is, is the IRS has sold out to Ted DiBiase. So basically, Ted DiBiase gets to, yeah, gets all the loopholes and probably just gets forgiven for not paying tax by IRS because IRS is getting bungs from him. I reckon that's what it is. Do you think he helped him with his accounts? I I just think he just says, yeah, don't worry about it, mate. No worry about the tax. Thanks Thanks for the money. 
I won't worry about you paying tax. And in well, the meantime, I'll tell everyone else that they need to pay tax. Because no, no one will think to look into you because they'll be like, well, he must be on it. You know what? It's almost like extreme reality. Yeah. So, and then he repays the tax man. He was getting him all of these tax breaks by saying, go and fight the undertaker. <laughs> hey, hey, hang, on, hang, on, hang on a minute. What's, I don't... He's big. He's a big guy. He's, ah, don't worry. Just drop kick him in the star. He'll be all right. Yeah, do you want to fight a zombie? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Then. Um, this is, you again, thinking you might be able to, to remember this. Basically, isn't pretty much the majority of 95 effectively Undertaker versus the Million Dollar Corporation? Yeah, it is. So, um, first of all, I should clear up that occasionally these guys might call me Tinky because that's been my nickname since I was a primary school. Um, secondly, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, so he faces Bundy at WrestleMania and then he faces Kama for the rest of the year. Well, up until SummerSlam. Um, and that's kind of where it ends. But yeah, I mean, like it's I think what this what this match and many of the other match and uh, certainly the Royal Rumble exposes is how weak the roster is at this point in time. Like it's just incredibly crap. Like there's like like old man said, there's so many wrestlers in the Rumble itself, which unless you were actually watching at the time, you'll have no clue who they were because no one's ever spoken about them since. And um, but also like IRS is absolutely no threat to the Undertaker whatsoever. Like going in, there's no way anyone bought this pay per view to see whether the Undertaker could could, could muster the strength to overcome the mighty Irwin Arshayster, were they? So like it's just yeah, it's just really really exposes the the just the weakness of the roster at the time i think yeah uh, and also award for wrestler who looks most like an egg <laughs> Bundy. he's he you know what you know what comes to mind when he comes out is the thing in from friends where trigger says you know i'm just a I, just a, a potato with arms and legs and a head that's yeah. what comes to my mind every time i see him yeah yeah he's yeah very like it does kind of give you hope that even now we could probably be wrestlers. <laughs> I he, so. he managed to headline a WrestleMania and had a bit of a career for himself. I reckon we could probably be wrestlers. Well, you know what? Really and that's a ridiculous thought. We could not be wrestlers at all. We're too short. <laughs> but not in this day and age. We could have been wrestlers in the eighties. <laughs> yes. But speaking of it, sorry. There's one person that comes down in the Rumble who, my God, he looks like me. <laughs> it, was it not you? Dick Murdoch. Anyway, we'll get back to that later. We'll talk to him later. Yeah, talk about him later on. But yeah, I mean, the other thing is like, Erin Arshister was some trivia for you. Obviously, he's the dad of Bray Wyatt. Mm. Um, and Dallas. And yeah. Bo Dallas. Yeah, sorry about that, Bo. Um, but also was one half of the US Express when he was Mike Rotundo um, alongside Barry Windham. And they were the first people to have the Real American as their oh. entrance music. Really? Yeah. So they had that music before Hogan did, um, as the US Express. Hogan owes his whole career to them. Pretty much. And that's why IRS continued to be employed well into the nineties. Yeah. I I'd imagine that Hogan's pretty eager to to give them credit for that, knowing Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah go on, boys, you have that. I I get the impression he kept getting him employment, if I'm honest, because wow. he did turn up in WCW later later on in the year, so <laughs> He has exactly the same gimmick, doesn't he? Yeah, Michael Wall Street. That's it. <laughs> Lovely does, old job. Doesn't he also have another character where he's basically supposed to be Vince McMahon? Possibly. 
Hang on, oh, great. It's gone to Mike. Yes. No, you're right. He was called originally VK Wall Street, as in Vincent Kennedy. Yes, that's right. Oh, burn. I'm sure oh. it's really felt that one. Such a <laughs> terrible name as well. VK Wall Street. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not a very good match, is it? It's pretty poor. And the Druids get involved and then Bundy comes down and you know the worst part about it although is not even in the match the worst part of this match is that they're setting this up for the Undertaker versus Bundy at Wrestlemania and then during the rumble Bundy just gets jobbed out <laughs> he just gets chucked out like like he's nobody yeah um, the, the the bit with Lawrence Taylor is a bit weird because what I find really odd is that Bam Bam and you know and, uh, not, uh, we're actually not talking about that match yet are we we'll go on to that later like, sorry, well, sorry, Tom's got some out early early onset Alzheimer's coming. In there. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> flipping out. Let's move on quickly please, before please. Tom completely loses it. <laughs> um, the next match is for the WWF, WWF Championship. Uh, and before we go any further, one thing I did note was an inconsistent um, censoring of the the F in WWF. Mm. So when Vince McMahon says it on commentary, it's fine. But there's one bit where Todd Pettengill is in an interview segment and he's talking to somebody and the, it's censored. You, they take the F away as if they're not allowed to show it, uh, as if they're not allowed to say it, which is really weird. Don't know what that's about. Yeah, I, I noticed that. That is very odd. I wonder if this is like Vince McMahon's like, well, yeah, you can censor everyone else, but not me. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um and so, yeah, it's Diesel versus Bret Hart. Diesel won the World Championship from Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden in eight seconds, a few uh, about a week after Bob Backlund had lost the belt to Bret at the Survivor Series the year before. And so this was, I guess, the natural first World Championship match for Diesel was to face the former champion. 27 minutes this one goes, which is a pretty long time for any match involving Kevin Nash. I don't care who his opponent is. Um, Tom, thoughts? So, uh, first thing, first things first. Interesting, the pre-match interview segments are quite weird as well, where Brett comes across as very unlikable. Yes. Um, and it's obvious, and you, I think me and old man chatted about this briefly the other day, but it's very clear in that match that Brett is working heel in it. Um, and I will say now, it's, it's difficult. I'm always with rose-tinted glasses when it comes to Brett, or should I say pink and black-tinted glasses, because I am obviously, as you guys know, a Bret Hart stan, so it's hard for him to do much wrong in 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 my eyes. Listen I, to you, listen to you with the, the with the fancy kids lingo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I I I didn't mind it. I thought it was quite interesting. I could have done without all the stoppages. Some very very lenient refereeing from Earl <laughs> Hebner, and it got me thinking actually. Like, and I know they'd never do it now, or they'd never probably really did it then. But it would be really interesting if they had. You know, like if we're, talking about, if we're talking about like referees in football, for example, right? You know, there are certain referees that do certain things. So we know that like Mike Dean, for example, loves to be the centre of attention. He loves to give a free kick in an unnecessary reason for an unnecessary reason. You know, there's other referees like Michael Oliver who are a bit more lenient. who let try and let the play go on and, and unfold. And I did think to myself, it'd be an interesting kind of interesting thing to do if they did that sometimes with referees. So, for, for example, a referee like Earl Hebner in a championship match tends to sometimes be a little bit more lenient and let it go rather than calling it for a DQ or a count out at any, at any times. 
there's some really weird bits there, especially when Brett is like working Diesel's leg and he's like got him on the ropes and he's pulling his thing over the rope. And Adam's like, one, two, come on, Brett, you gotta let him go, you gotta let him go. One, two, come on, you gotta let him go, you gotta let him go. And he ends up holding his leg on this like bent in this gnarled angle for like 15 seconds. It's really, really bizarre refereeing in the match. But I, I, I didn't mind again long, but um, yeah, I, I, I it's, there's not, not much you can do with Kevin Nash is there, I don't think. So I think Bret Hart did a reasonably good job. But I could have done with all the, without all the shenanigans in it as well. What I found, well, I mean, I, I, a bit like you, I think the match is fine. I mean, let's let's be honest. Brett's putting in some hard yards, putting in an absolute shift. <laughs> but um, when when basically everyone comes down, Bob Backlund just, uh, just lost this, just lost his title, obviously to uh to Kevin Nash slash Diesel. So he has a little attack of Brett first time, and then when they're clearing him out, he runs in and he puts on this cross-faced chicken wing on Brett with so much enthusiasm. <laughs> he is overselling it, somewhat rotten. It just, I don't know, like I don't really watch it seriously. But up to that point, I was kind of, I kind of stuck with it, and that just, it was too much. Bob Backman was too much. He was just selling it like, like he was ecstasy. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of his character, though. That's the thing. It was like he was meant to be like completely mentally unstable, and had snapped because, um, because he felt like he'd been left behind. Um. And that was kind of his heel character. And it did work quite well, I think. I think he did a good job of that character overall. I, I, I can't say I, I noticed that specific thing, but but yeah, I, I think overall I, I quite enjoyed the backland of that time. To, to be honest, it's definitely worth going back and watching the whole show for again. <laughs> Just to see that bit. Um, it's, a bit it's all a bit weird, like you said, like you've got like multiple interruptions, but the first one is Shawn Michaels who stops Diesel from winning. Then we have Owen Hart who stops Diesel, uh, Bret Hart from winning. And then we have both Owen and Shawn Michaels and Jim Neidart, which I'm cool with. You know, I, that makes sense to me. Bob Backlund makes sense because he, you know, obviously was in a feud with Bret Hart. But what the bloody hell are Jeff Jarrett the roadie doing there? Like suddenly they just turn up. Oh yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna we're gonna join in. We're gonna beat Diesel up too. Oh, what's that about? But what what I found, yeah, it was that was very that was very strange. I liked, yeah, it was it was odd. Like, oh, and I'll tell you what, you could tell you he's from a different era because Bob Backlund's kicks as well when he's on the ground are embarrassing it's like um <laughs> it's like if you guys watched um the irishman the scorsese no. yeah. all right okay well this is not references lost on you entirely but um it's obviously they've used the aging software on robert de niro and robert de niro is like supposed to, at one point in the film supposed to be playing like a 30 year old version of himself and he chucks some bloke out of a convenience store and then like kicks the shit out of him but the kicks are so slow, buddery, <laughs> and old manish, and that was what Bob Backlund was doing in <laughs> in this match. It was it was really bizarre. There was also a bit I don't know if you know. So I think it was in this match, but as the as the the guys were coming down to the ring, but someone had a WWF New Generation sign up. That's really? a plant, isn't it? That is <laughs> that's a plant in the crowd, isn't it? <laughs> oh no, come on, that's far too cynical. How how dare you? Yeah. How, how how bloody dare you? Um, yeah, I mean, look, Bob Backlund was only like 44, 45 when this, this show 
um, went out. And obviously, that's probably about the average age of a lot of the top guys in WWF now. Um, I I must say, he could pass for 60. (laughs) He's so pale as well. Like, I mean, he's so pale. Yeah, I can't believe that someone didn't say, you want to chuck a bit of tan on that? Well, again, I think that would have kind of ruined the mystique of who Backlund was supposed to be. Like, I think weirdly as well, like Backlund, because obviously they're going on about the new generation at this point in time, like, you know, Brett and Diesel and all these people, because Hogan and whatnot have gone over to WCW. And, um, and yet Backlund is not from the generation before the new generation. He's from the generation before that. Yeah. Like he was a world champion in the 70s. Um, so it's just, it, it's really odd. I think that the idea was to sort of portray him as though he was the same age as the Hulk, you know, as Hogan and, and, as, and as Savage. And I guess he is about the same age, but obviously they're technically from different periods of time in terms of their their success years anyway. Um, but I think that was, that was another one of the reasons why they liked having him around was that he kind of was a comparison to Hogan in that. Yeah, I, I liked at the end of the match, um, where they they call the match as a you know a draw, um, and uh, the Fink says referee or Hebner has, de- has declared this match a draw because he has lost control of the match. He lost control of the match fucking ages ago. <laughs> he lost control of the match the second that Shawn Michaels came down. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's, he lost, you know what I mean? It's so weird. It's like, we've decided to call this off because of something that realistically happened about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so also, when Shawn Michaels comes down, I like the fact he's got his chaps on. Yeah. He's All, always on. ready. Always ready. Yeah, you, you're right about Brett playing the heel during this one. Um, he almost, there's one moment where he, I think he hits Kevin Nash. That's right. He hits him with the chair on the steel post to his knee, doesn't he? Yeah. And um, and there's like audible like boos across the crowd at that point for Bret Hart. Um, I, I'm always kind of quite fascinated by that because it must be a real balancing act as to when to pull back on that and not go too far because you don't want to make him a heel. But you but you're ultimately you're trying to set one of them up as the antagonist because it's that's what it's all about. You need an antagonist in the match. It's it's funny though. The, the, what's funny you say that because I picked up on that as well. But that was the only time, because the majority of the time when Diesel's doing his offense, the the crowd aren't really into it at all. When Brett then has a little mini comeback, the crowd pop for it, and it's really interesting because it's also like the just the the aesthetics of it are really odd because. The fact that he's quite often doing heel moves, like the bit when he takes his bands off, you know, his band off his wrist and ties his legs around the the post, mm-hmm. um, like they're popping, the crowd are popping. Old vest guy is loving it. <laughs> That's the time where he's having a having the time of his life, and it's just it's really interesting. It goes to show that like he was still, even though like the company was in a real lull at that point, there was still like the reliable aspect of of Brett that they were able to be like, do you know what? we'll get something out of this match, even though we're going to put a tag team title match after it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the only reason they did that was because they had to have Shawn Michaels involved at the end of this match and he was going to be number one in the rumble. Mm. So it, it would have been like straight after it just, it would have been 
it would have been just less. I think that's why they did it anyway. Um, One of the things I noticed um, about, well, in terms of what they got out of it, um, obviously one of the things they wanted to do was set up the idea that Diesel was, you know, was was to put Diesel over without putting him over. So they kind of had him save Bret Hart after the match. And then Bret Hart kind of gave him a hug afterwards. And they kind of, kind of given him his, almost like he'd given him his seal of approval to take the title on. And that, I think that was what this was supposed to be about. But personally, don't forget, this is his first pay-per-view defense of the title. Probably his first high-profile defense of the title i don't imagine he defended the belt on television free television at the time because it didn't really happen very often in in 94 and 95 um and he doesn't win it and i I always think that's a mistake i always think you should you should your first title defense you should win decisively in my opinion yeah it's a very odd booking decision well especially one who's not won the title on television because obviously the title win came against backland on a madison square garden house show um which there was a camera a single camera therefore but it wasn't a part of a television show um and and then this is this is effectively his first big defense of the belt so it just feels like a, a you know he's being he's being kind of weakened almost from the beginning as the champion yeah especially when you with all of the shenanigans that goes on you can kind of get away with brett being incapacitated by a load of other people can't you yeah. like or Bob Backlund and his chicken wing. And then people might have thought that he might have actually beat Brett at WrestleMania as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. One thing I noticed about this match, though, in the middle of it was um, there's this moment where I, 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 Bret Hart was in a rear chin lock or something like that. And there's a guy uh, walking across, back and forth across one of the tiers of the crowd. And he's obviously selling stuff, selling merch. And he's got in his hand what I think might be one of the shittest pieces of merchandise in the world I've ever seen, which is a foam heart. So instead of a foam finger, like, or a foam thumb, (laughs) as you might get, um, you know, with other acts or, you know, the middle finger with Austin, it's just a foam heart. It's a black and pink heart. I mean, what, what are they doing? And he's walking back and forth and nobody's taking him up on it because it's a, it's a terrible piece of merch. And I was watching it thinking like, God, like Bret Hart's there. He's in a rear chin lock. And I'm sure he was in the moment because he, he's a consummate professional. As we all know, Bret Hart's never hurt anybody in his entire career. Um, so he's always focused on the task at hand. But I, I had this thought where he could probably see the guy trying to sell his merch and thinking yeah i could really do with some sales of those lovely foam hearts because yeah that'd be some nice coin but nobody's taking the the merch seller up on this this offer that's because they've just, already bought them mate bought them. <laughs> i just <laughs> i just imagine in that moment brett hart's there like oh no one's buying it oh damn it oh i'm feeling really bad and just feeling i just felt really bad for brett all of a sudden he does such a good job selling because every time he takes a kick or a punch with me, he's thinking another one to the heart, <laughs> another one to the foam heart. I I also go got two things. Well, on the foam front, I can raise that with a yellow and red foam razor, which someone's got <laughs> yes. in a razor Ramon match at the beginning, and they are going mad. They're shaking it around and it's flopping around all over the place. It's amazing. Um, but also and. And if I can briefly go back to the hair of it all. You can. Of course. Diesel, Diesel giving out some serious season two of Friends Rachel hair vibes as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
phenomenal. Amazing. He's got the Rachel, has he? He's actually yeah, <laughs> before so. before Jennifer Aniston, I assume. Well, it's got to be about the same time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you reckon they went to the same hairdressers? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> he, she, he was he was like, I'll have what she's having. And he's like, I'll have, I'll have what's popular at the moment. And he's like, <laughs> the Rachel. Hey, uh, I'll tell you what. I've just uh, whilst we've been having this chat about foam and foam hearts, I've just found one for sale on eBay. Oh, how much is it going for? $496. <laughs> wow. And six cent. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, oh. to be fair, it pays for itself. And to be honest, I've I've seen Tom waste his money on worse shit than that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he if he went and bought it right now. Oh, mate. <laughs> so, maybe I should, do you know what I should do? If we're recording next week, I'll make sure I put up that... Uh, Bret Hart flag you bought me, old man. Oh, lovely. Oh, I I completely forgot about that flag. Yeah. I had a picture behind me of um uh the well uh, the Sopranos. It's a uh, it's like a canvas print and it's got uh Tony, Christopher, Paulie and Silvio on it. And um it that was previously on the mantelpiece behind me. On the mantelpiece, the, the chimney breast behind me. And whenever I was on a video call and work, people would be like, Is that a picture of like were you in a boy band? Is that a picture of like a boy band? In the Honestly, more than more than two people have commented on that. It's been very odd that they would do that. That's yeah. that's the same number of people who listen to this podcast. More than yeah. two. And that is that us. That's us. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Us three. So you all got to make sure you listen to it at least once, so that we get that we can say we have got more than two listeners. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that's a good place to just take a brief, a brief break, and we'll be and we'll come back just in in just a second. Well, I guess Todd's the man. I Todd, I have the new Intercontinental Champion, Razor Ramon. I mean, Double J Jeff Jarrett. He's right here. What do you have to say about this, Double J? The greatest stop of all on the Ain't I Great Tour '95, baby. This is the biggest. Oh, celebrate! You talk about celebrate. I ain't got time for interviews. I'm celebrating. You know who I'm starting with? She wants to see me right now. Pamela Sue, baby. I'm on my way. Celebration time. Let's go, Celebration. Ain't I great, baby? Yes. Yes. Double J raging victorious. Let's go back to ringside. Okay, so next up is the uh, tag team championship match. Uh, one, two, three, kid and Bob Holly against Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka in what was the final of uh, tournament for the vacant championship after the belts had been vacated by Shawn Michaels and Diesel. It split up, of course, at the Survivor Series '94. Um, and um, so this was it. Had we only had a quarterfinals, a semifinals, and finals, so it wasn't really an extensive tournament. Um, would you like to know how the two teams got to the final? Yes. Oh, yeah. So Bigelow and Tatanka beat Men on a Mission in the quarterfinal um, and then beat the Head Shrinkers in the semifinal. The Head Shrinkers had beaten the epic team of Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart, which I think is a shame. I, th- I would have liked to see them go further um, in the quarterfinal. In the, on the other half of the draw, uh, the Heavenly Bodies uh, went through beating the Bushwhackers and one, two, three kid and Bob Holly beat well done. One, two, three kid and Bob Holly had replaced the smoking guns at the last minute because they, one of them had an injury. Can't remember which one. Um, and then one, two, three kid and Bob Holly had beaten the heavenly bodies in the semi-final. So that led us to this, these two random pairings basically being in the final because they didn't, they weren't really regular tag team partners at any point. Um, and they just happened to, 
team up for this one match. 50 minutes in length, and the match win, was would be won by the underdogs of the uh, bout, one two three kid and Bob Holly. Old man, what do you think of this one? Well, first off, like that's the first time I've heard the rundown of the brackets. How, how are these two teams in the final and not, like you said, Owen Hart and the Anvil? I don't, I am assuming that Anvil had gone from the company because I think early on I erroneously said that he came down during the Diesel show, uh, Diesel Brower match, but he didn't because um, he wasn't, I don't think he was with the company because he surely would have been at this event somewhere if he had been. Yeah, um, yeah perhaps that makes sense. Well, that does make sense because if he ain't there, he can be in the tournament. Yeah, he's got he's got a hiring and firing record almost as prolific as Marty Jannetty, isn't he? Yes, yeah. Um, interesting enough, I've just read that according to Bret Hart in his autobiography, which I have read, but I didn't remember this specific detail, um, was that the original plan was for Owen and Nidart to win this tournament, but Nidart was officially fired due to no showing events. So, oh, Jim. So that'd be why they went out in the first round, as opposed to going all the way and winning the tournament. I'm, I'm going to say that Bret Hart's lying. You reckon? How do they know he's going to no-show events? I think he had been no-showing events, and so that they booked them to lose the match and then fired Jim Nidak. That's poor. Poor old Owen Hart. Well, he did go on and then win the tag team belts at WrestleMania with Yokozuna, so he no, didn't I mean, really suffer. So when Yokozuna is absolutely enormous, isn't it? Like, bigger than normal. Bigger, yeah, a little bit. But you didn't tell me how you thought about the match. I thought, you know, I thought it was all right, actually. I <laughs> didn't realise, I'd not really realised, obviously you've got one, two, three, kid and bam, bam in there, so you're going to get some decent stuff. Bob Holly jumps off of the top rope at one point. Well, don't, don't forget, this is when he was a high fire because he wasn't like 260 pounds. So he was he was basically one of the most agile wrestlers on the entire roster. Yeah. And uh, and then there's Tatanka, who moves. I know ne- I've never really noticed, but he moves like a wardrobe. <laughs> Tatanka is enormous in this match. At this point, he looks enormous. Yeah, it was. um. I thought it was all right, and obviously it sets up nicely at the end. The stuff between Bam Bam and Lawrence Taylor is tremendous. One, because it's actually done quite well, and two, because when the camera's on Lawrence Taylor after he's gone and Bam Bam's walked off, Lawrence Taylor's so worried about his sunglasses. (laughs) Stop playing with him, and he's like, mate, you need to sell this a bit more than some sunglasses. He's just lobbed you to the floor. There's a great, there's a great move in this match. There's a great little sequence where um, uh, it thinks Bam Bam and One Two Three Kid in the ring, and Bam Bam throws him up, and One Two Three Kid gets launched so high in the air and lands and does a hurricane rana on him, and Bam Bam flies across the ring for his hurricane rana, gets up, the One Two Three Kid does his karate kick, then Bam Bam Bigley does an insecurity on him, and just like looks like he kills him. It looks like he kills the one two three kid and it's amazing it's yeah, a it's great a, little sequence in the match that that bit when he when he really like as you said one two three kid gets some serious height when he gets yeah. pushed up into the air and I, that's my favorite bit probably of the entire show if i'm honest yes. is that is that 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 one moment um but i love i love bama miglo like a proper i think he's one of the, my favorite wrestlers of the time certainly like he, he's just i think he's magnificent he's got a great look as well like 
you know, he's got flames on his head, tattooed onto his bald head. I mean, yeah. old man, you should do that. You should you should get that. Well, yeah. to be honest, it is something that if it wasn't for the lockdown that we're in, I probably would have <laughs> had it done. But I, I feel like the moment's passed now. <laughs> what are you also, the, the, but again, there's there's a slight there's a slight element of sadness to this match as well. Because if you're watching it, you can kind of think to yourself, this is the beginning of the demise of Bam Bam in WWF. Yeah, I um, yeah. Because of the way the match at WrestleMania 12 or 11 goes goes down with Lawrence Taylor. And it's kind of a little bit like, oh, if they booked him better, I know they never would have, but if they booked him, he could have been a great, a great heel main event. He could have had a good match with Diesel. You know what I mean? At a main event level. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a bit of a shame that he's not, he wasn't utilised more to the best of his abilities. Well, I was thinking he should have probably been the guy who Diesel beat in his first title defence, to be honest, because yeah. they could have done exactly the same thing with Lawrence Taylor, um, only done it with, with during the, like, after the World Championship match when Bigelow, I know, like, Lawrence Taylor was laughing at him because he got beat by the one two three kid, but, like, you didn't need to have him job out to the one two three kid in order to have this moment of Lawrence Taylor. It didn't didn't it wasn't necessary, and I just thought that would have made more sense. But he suffers from being big, but not the biggest. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah he's kind of like I always. I don't know how much they crossed over, but I always kind of look at him and Vader. Yeah, and kind of feel like Vader. I don't know whether it's because he wore that mask or because he stank allegedly, but. <laughs> He um yeah he always seemed to get a bit more out of him and obviously well yeah because Foley from memory made Vader pretty much made him into a monster and like you probably goes into size like you said because Bam Bam was never the biggest he never got to be that monster he was just an agile big guy but he um, was yeah he wasn't. In the same way that like Mick Foley was obviously a bigger guy, not necessarily in terms of stature, but in terms of, you know, kind of weight, unconventionally kind of big for a wrestler. He was able to get away with being like an underdog mm. in a way that Bam Bam never could as well. So, yeah, I think you're both right. There's a kind of there's like a, like a kind of gray area that Bam Bam falls into where he can't really be a monster hill, but he can't be like an underdog. Yeah, but well, he he didn't have the like Bigelow and Vader in their early career were a tag team. They were they were partners and they the, were they the they big cunts. That's what they were called. Yeah. Um, and they and they and they did they were both quite like they did early in their career in Japan, for example. They had, they had, they had some success. But you're right, Vader always ended up getting more than Bigelow, and I think it's because of the size and because also that. Bigelow didn't make up for the fact that he wasn't as big as Aveda, for example, with some character, you know, and that's what Foley did is he brought a shitload of character and thought behind what he was doing and, and sympathy. Actually, he managed to get sympathy onto him, which Bigelow never, never really did. Even when he became a babyface after the Lawrence Taylor match, he just never was able to, 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 kind of bring in that sympathy to his character um but i and i but i agree i think it's a great shame because he he was fantastic and uh, it just just by due to the fact that he wasn't as big as say yokozuna or as tall as kevin nash he ultimately didn't get that kind of main main event run that although in fairness he hey he headlined a wrestlemania not that many people can say they've done that so he's got that at least he died 14 years ago a week tuesday so the 19th, January 19th, 2007. That's very prescient. Um, yeah. to be honest. 
to be on today's show. Um, here, the the one, two, three, kid and Bob Holly obviously win the tag team championships. They then lose it the next night, by the way. Just spoilers. The Smoking Guns beat them <laughs> the next night on Raw for the belts, um, which kind of suggests once more that what probably happened, I think this backs up Bret Hart's claim that Owen Hart and Nidart were supposed to win the tag team belts because I think what probably happened is they started the tournament and then Jim they decided, oh, we've got to fire Jim Nidart because he's doing our editing. Um, and so then they had to flip the tournament on his head, but then get it back to the smoking guns so that Owen Hart could win the tag team belt off the smoking guns at WrestleMania. I think that's probably what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I thought this was a really good match. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really decent. Um, I, again, I was a little bit, the finish was a little bit annoying for me though. Like, like yeah. Tatanka clearly could see that Bigelow was getting onto the top rope. Like if he did, if they just timed it a bit better, it would have been fine, but Tatanka wasn't even in the ring at the point that Bigelow started climbing the the, oh. the 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 rope. So what happens for people who may not have seen it? Bigelow is going up to the top rope to deliver a moonsault, seemingly, um, and in the meantime, Tatanka gets in the ring and then runs the ropes, causing Bigelow to fall off the off the turnbuckle and him to be pinned. But as I say, like it just it felt like. It's, it didn't look real enough, which I know is a little bit ridiculous, given we're talking about pro wrestling. But all the same, I'd like to be able to dis- suspend my disbelief a little better. Do you think I was thinking about Pamela Anderson? Maybe. Maybe that's what was happening uh, still. Do you know who, interestingly, talking about moonsaults, do you know who first started using the moonsault in North America? I reckon it was... John McGroin. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Tell me. Leaping Lanny Poffo. Oh, wow. Oh, genius. Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally, literally. Genius by name and by nature. Like yeah. Um, they reckon it was originally used by Great Muta. No, Mandu Guerrero invented it, innovated it even. And then, uh, but the, the popularity in both Japanese and American wrestling is attributed to the great muter see who who knew that a podcast of people just reading out wikipedia could be so so engaging <laughs> fascinating um this match was fun i quite enjoyed it again went too long plenty of entertainment in there always good to hear ted dibiase's music um in both this match and in the uh match with rs and the undertaker um mercifully short bit of a screwy ending but it was quite entertaining i i enjoyed this match 10 out of 10 <laughs> Best match ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Perfect. Okay. So shall we move on to the rumble then? Um, I thought what I would do is go through every single wrestler that enters in order, and we can we can see if we can clear up some of the people that old man didn't know, or or, or um, and I'm not even sure one of them. I think one of them might not have even like it was barely a blip in terms of what you know how long he was in the WWF for. But we will we'll get to that. We start with. Hang no. on, can I just quickly say something for us? You're on the no. Wikipedia page, right? Yeah. Um, oh man, are you on the Wikipedia page? Uh, I am now. Why is on the picture is the British Bulldog getting into the ring in the same manner that Stacey Keebler used to? <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer that for you. I cannot Strange answer that. Oh, that's lovely. Um, yeah, well. If anything, is more alluring. <laughs> it does draw the eye, put it that way. It really does, I'll be honest, I can't stop looking at it. 
Amazing. Um, okay, so first two in the ring um, are Shawn Michaels and David Boy Smith. Who were these two guys? Who, who, who's Shawn Michaels? Yeah. Never heard of him. Yeah. Now, do you think, because my thought was, so looking at this, realistically, looking at the list of entrants, and I'm sorry to jump ahead, Tinky, but realistically, of all these official entrants in the Royal Rumble, realistically, there's four people that can win it. Well, I think, I think I think you're making a stretch even at four. I think, Shawn, I think maybe Shawn two. Michaels, Shawn Michaels, Bulldog, um, Owen Hart, Luger. Out of push. Out of push. Out of push. I, I, can I, what I would say as well here is this not, this isn't even about people who know wrestling, like inside stuff. When I was at primary school, I can, rem- I can vividly remember the day, like the Friday maybe before this pay-per-view happened, there was people talking about it and someone said you know kind of put out the question oh who's going to win and i said it's going to be either Shawn michaels or lex luger and i didn't know a thing about the insider stuff in wrestling at the time it was just so obvious that like it, it wasn't like even from a kayfabe perspective like there was no one else who could win it but is that why do you think i was wondering if is that why do you think Shawn michaels and bulldog are in the in the entire match mm-hmm. it's because because of that reason because the the, the the pool of talent is so shit yeah, that they've got to have two people they can rely on to go for that amount of time and they need a heel and a baby face it can't it couldn't be because realistically you look at the two best workers in this match it'd be Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart but they can't have two heels in it all the way through so they chose Bulldog because he's probably the best reliable baby face in this match to, to be able to do it for that long so there's always someone they can trust who could feasibly win it yeah in the I, entire thing I think I think that's that's it. I th- I don't think it's necessarily about who can win it, but you're, you what you said a minute ago about the depth of talent is the thing. I just think it's not even necessarily the talent. It's about star power. Like there's just so little star power throughout the show. Uh, that sorry throughout the match that that they had to have the winner from the very beginning because otherwise for great swathes of the match they'd have had nobody of interest in it. So they had to have them. They just had to be there throughout the match. And I think that's probably also what made the decision for them to make it one minute per entrant. Yeah. So that so that Sean and David Boy Smith didn't have to each go for over an hour. Mm. Um. So yeah, I think I think that's probably absolutely right. I feel like you should run through them then in order. Okay, so we have got Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog are the first two out, and then up next is the Titan that is Eli Blue. Or Eli. He's. Of- He's probably my pick to win it. <laughs> what are you going to change your mind as much as Jerry Lawler does throughout this uh, throughout I, this contest? I think I might. That is magnificent. I know he used to do that all the time in Rumbles, but it is always great when he does it. Um, See, I, I think I'm at a point here where I need to interject and go into bat for for Jerry Lawler, but also for Vince McMahon because no one else will do it. I'm the only one who goes into bat for Vince McMahon when it comes to his commentary. I love Vince McMahon's commentary and I especially love it when he commentates with Jerry Lawler because this is the classic lineup in my mind because I got into wrestling in 1994 when these were the two people that were the commentators. I don't love Vince McMahon as a person, but his commentary can't, can't get enough of it. See, I, I find this common, I think I find it to be quite grating. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I don't think he's bad. I think there have, there have been worse, much worse lead commentators of Vincent Man, and he's obviously they're obviously they're he's obviously in a bit of a holding pool at this point because I can imagine his ambition was never really to be an announcer. So do you think he he put himself in that role because he could trust himself after 
Gorillabos well, had stopped doing the job and they were waiting to basically effectively for Jim Ross or who they would find to be Jim Ross. Well, I think you have to you have to kind of actually rewind a little bit there because Gorilla Monsoon was the guy who did the commentary on the pay-per-views, but Vince McMahon did television commentary yes. from the mid seventies. Like he, he had been commentating by this, uh, by this point for at least 20 years, Vince McMahon as the lead commentator on nearly all of WWE's programming. Like he was the main car- commentator even, yeah, well before he took over the company and he continued to be um, in the main. So bad at it. <laughs> he wasn't he was amazing but i think but i think in truth if you go back to 1975 or like the early 80s i've i've watched a load of like the different regional promotions from around the time on the network and there's 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 mid-atlantic stuff there there is um world-class championship wrestling there is uh mid-south wrestling wwf awa stuff honestly vincent mann is miles years ahead of the other commentators of the time the only one I can't compare is Gordon Soley because he wasn't on any of those shows. He was like in another territory. But but Vince at that time was just miles ahead. And I think the reason perhaps that he's not as good by this point as 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 most people would say he's not very good is because he's just got it's just got to the point where it is now. He has now been overtaken by better exponents of the of the of the art form. But I, I put him up against Gorilla Monsoon and pick Vince any any day of the week. Do you think that um is, is Gordon Soley not on some of the, the the Crockett stuff? He probably is. He probably is. I just haven't watched that deep into it. Um, yeah. but but you know, in the early eighties when I think I think Soley was um Florida Championship Wrestling. I think I'm don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely certain, but I think he was. Um, that pro- promotion was still it still existed at the in the early eighties. Um, and it's not, but there's not much of it, if any of it, on on the network. Uh, so who was next then? We got after Elo Blue. After Elo Blue. So you all know who Elo Blue is, yeah? Yeah, Jacob and Elo Blue, the Blue Brothers. And they were they went on to be Skull and Eight Ball. Yes. Cycles of Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Um, then we got Duke Drosy, the, the, the dumpster. The bit, no, was he a babyface or a heel? He was a babyface. Okay. Um, any Anything about Duke the dumpster, Drosy? Because when, for some reason, this time... The, the the name the dumpster made me laugh when I was watching this, even though obviously I've known about the dumpster Drosy from pretty much the beginning of me watching wrestling. It made me laugh this time around. Just no. me. Okay, I, fine. No, I just, <laughs> it's just one of these weird things. Like I was just sat there and I was like, why? Yeah, I, I get it. I get, I, you know what? It's weird. I, I kind of ridiculously and, and probably almost definitely down to nostalgia. I kind of yearn for them to do stuff like this again because I think it makes storylines so easy. Like IRS, for example, is a tax man. Everyone hates him. And and occasionally he would tax other wrestlers by stealing something from them because he'd be like, well, you know, you haven't paid your tax. So I've had to steal, I don't know, Razor Ramon's gold chains or whatever. And it just made storylines so simple because you could just base it on the profession that they did. Um, Jean-Pierre so think, stealing Bret Hart's jacket. Exactly, because he's a pirate brilliant you know like i love it i love it it's so simple do it more often anyway who's jimmy del rey jimmy del rey one half of the heavenly bodies oh and is this the guy who went no so jimmy del rey and tom tom pritchard are the heavenly bodies that's right yeah now i'm i'm not in great shape i'll put this out there it's not a surprise (laughs) to anyone calling tom pritchard and jimmy del rey heavenly bodies (laughs) is a bit rich you know what like i feel a bit bad because actually tom pritchard and jimmy del rey 
are actually a really quite decent tag team. Um, if you if you if they they have the best match that you could probably find of them in WWE is at Survivor Series '93, where they faced the Rock and Roll Express. Um, and the match they face them in is for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Titles. In Smoky Mountain, though, they had a really good feud with the the Rock and Roll Express, and Express, and they had a really good um, set of matches. And they're they're really quite talented. They're not at all bad. But you're right, they they calling them the Heavenly Bodies is is slightly a stretch. But then I guess that's probably the point because they are heels after all. Well, do do you reckon the the slovenly bodies would have been better? <laughs> <laughs> I do now. I do now. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's a tough sell, isn't it? It's a tough sell, especially when you've got someone like Rick Martel walking around. <laughs> well, we, haven't, we haven't got to him yet, old man. Go on, Rick steady, steady yourself. Number six is Sione. Yes, this is the Barbarian. This is the Barbarian, now repackaged as one half of the Head Shrinkers because Samu left, and I don't know why he did, but he left. And at this point, they have been um, conditioned to wear shoes. I think so. Yeah. So they've been. That's right. They've been. What's what's the word? Civilized enough yes. to wear shoes. Yeah. Um, so I believe that began at Survivor Series, didn't it? I think it. I think it had begun a little bit before that. Um, but that was Survivor Series '94 was just a continuation of that same story. But yeah. Um, they. I think it was part of Captain Lou Albano's kind of plan to get make them tag team champions again. Um, because obviously they had Affa as their manager, but Cap- they've also brought Captain Lou as part of that group as well. And he, his idea was to get them to wear shoes because um, they were savages, don't forget, because yeah. they were from Samoa, which wasn't at all connected to anywhere. And everyone <laughs> had been untouched by civilization. Do you know what? Shawn Michaels sells a headbutt from him amazingly. <laughs> he goes Affa across the rigs. Brilliant. That's all I've got to say about him, though. Fred him as the barbarian, if I'm being honest. um and then we got the second heavenly body tom pritchard bruce's brother of course um number seven in the match uh and number eight is doink the clown who probably to this point gets the biggest response other than the opening two entrance of the match yeah when it comes in probably right uh who's who's playing doink at this time is it still matt what is it it's not matt bourne no it's not matt bourne by this point it's uh i think it's gonna be either steve cairn or what's the other one ray apollo was the other one but i, I don't know who would have been who would have definitely have been at this point um oh. but it was a matt bourne by 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 1995 unfortunately he, he did it mainly when he was a heel and then yeah. it went on to be somebody else steve cairn i think was probably the person portraying doink at this point um he didn't really he was also the guy who played skinner steve cairn Oh, what a wrestler! That's ruined it. Old gimmick. Oh, it's Skinner. Oh no, the, the, the Gator man. Oh, you gotta be joking me. Uh, no, no, that was a weird gimmick. That was a weird gimmick. Yeah. I think the only thing that he really did was spit chewing tobacco at people, which yeah, which is the foul. Yeah. It's pretty I foul. Remember, I remember for, my always my my kind of longing memory of Skinner is that Ford, I, I make forty. You may know listeners may know from uh, doing writing for the Sun, wrestling for the Sun. He um said that his dad used to um his dad would always like pick up on like to, in order to kind of, like, kind of curry favor with him. His dad would like pick up on like a wrestler's name 
and he'd be like, "Oh, do you know my my I really like, I really like a Skinner." Try to impress him. And no one likes Skinner. <laughs> Not to try and impress him, and probably just to annoy him more than anything else, I'd imagine. No, we'll get him on and ask him one time. Um, number nine is Quang. Who oh, is who ringing, ringing endorsement for that? Who is he? And silence, brilliant. Um, that's Savio Vega under the mask of Quang. Oh, uh, pre Savio Vega, Savio Vega, then that's right. Well, technically not because I think he was Savio Vega in Puerto Rico before this, but yeah, my word. Oh, I love, love the fact that Austin on his podcast always goes on about how, how he's the toughest guy he's ever worked with. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. It's not a lot to say about Quang because he's really not, he, he never really did anything. He's around for a, a good couple of years, but he just they never did anything with him. Um, number 10 then was uh, old man's favorite, Rick Martel. Oh, um, lasted two and a half minutes in the match and um this was actually after martel was was had left like he, this was a one-shot yeah. deal i think yeah i think this was a one-shot deal i was gonna say because i can't think of rick martel being around any later than like night three so he was in the 94 rumble and i think that was the last time possibly he'd been in wwf uh, up to this point um and i think they brought him in look i think this is another example of them being really low on talent and they just like well we got to go and get somebody who people know rick martell will do so bring him in yeah right i'll tell you what 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 a man to bring in <laughs> and he's wearing pink tights though i think i think he should have been wearing his classic light blue well so what are we talking baby face or heel because if he's in pink then he's the model isn't he well he's yeah but he's been a heel like he's not gone back to being a baby face yeah. so in which case he should have stayed in his purple then or his pink no he, had, he, he wore the blue as, as a, baby, a heel as well Did he, he? Been, yeah yeah that was that was his main Little bit more than he didn't come down with his cologne his arrogance well yeah but that, that just showed he wasn't really there to do anything other than to fill a gap basically yeah. was he? um then we had number 11 which was owen hart but before he could get to the ring he was attacked by brother brett and then when he finally did get in the ring the bulldog threw him out after three seconds so arguably the second most talented wrestler in the entire match is only in it for three seconds absolute waste and (laughs) and it's a real waste and and there was something i thought was really odd when i was watching brett beat him down and i was like what's what why does brett hart look weird what's going on his arms are exposed. It's right, yeah. He, he's taking his arm pads his off. His tapes are off, and his and his um and his uh, elbow pads are off. Yeah, and he looks really strange. It, there's too much arm on display. It's like it's like Big E. You know, Big E has no knee pads, and his yeah. boots are really short, and his tights are really short, and there's too much leg. There is far too much. There's just too much arm on display. It's very disconcerting. Yeah, agreed. I, I think you have to you have to cover your knees up and you have to cover your elbows up. It's just yeah. not. It's just the it's just the etiquette of pro wrestling. So like the fact that it had taken Brett, he was he was still partially clothed. So I like to think that it had taken him that long to take off his wrist his wrist tape and his elbow pads. At, at the end of the title match, he's he's in quite a quite bad shape mm. from the beatdown. I can't remember which arm it is that Kevin Nash tries to lift up. But oh, Brett sells that arm like it's the left arm, mate. It's the working left arm, isn't it? Yeah. Like he's gonna, I don't know, like it might, might come off. Yeah. A come waste off. of Owen Hart. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was. I don't know, like, I mean, basically his contribution to the show is three seconds in the Rumble and like a couple of run-ins during Bret Hart versus Diesel. But when you've got a Royal Rumble with this lack of star power, mm. I mean, that makes it even more weird. Like, it just feels like we need more of Owen Hart in this match. 
But so there we go. We, we know at this point. So we're, this is early 95, right? So by this point, Hogan's long gone. He's been gone for like a year or two now, hasn't he? Yeah, about, about 18 months, yeah. Um, And he's already in WCW. Yeah. And when did Macho leave? Savage was with WCW as well by this point. But but how long before? Um, in WrestleMania like three or four months, I think. So he was at SummerSlam the year before. Um, and I think it may have been like October or something like that when he turned up in WCW. So they had a good like three months to prepare for this pay-per-view. Are you suggesting that Savage would have been kind of a, a featured performer? Because I don't think he would have been because he just wasn't being used by Vince in the last year or so. But they but they got by this point they fucking pulled um thingy back Bob Backlund out of, out of obscurity and Backlund had been around since the beginning of '93 though so he'd been around for a couple of years by this point. But do you reckon they may have used Savage as just some an extra body in the Rumble at this point? Because I know he's been used on commentary towards the end. Yeah. No, I was just wondering because because again looking at the list like how light this is. Yeah. The, they they surely would have they could have utilized him in this. They, they, he would have been in this. He would have been in this if he's still been in the company. But obviously he'd gone by this point because he, the, fundamentally he wanted to carry on wrestling and wanted to be a featured attraction. And Vince just didn't see him wrestling full time anymore. And um, which is crazy when you think about the fact that he was a main event guy in WCW right up to like the end of 98, basically. Yeah. Um, and still was able to go like his matches with DDP in 97 is still considered really, really yeah. great. Very so like you're, you're like what what was he thinking at the sort of beginning of 93 basically that savage was no longer a, a, a full-time guy like it just it, it i don't I, it's just inexplicable it just doesn't make sense do you reckon it was his awful attire <laughs> maybe it was his awful attire i think actually what had happened was that at the beginning at the beginning of 93 the company had made a uh, a concerted choice to go with a new generation of, of wrestlers because they'd lost Hogan. And if you look at that period, it's really strange how nearly nearly the entire roster is either just about to leave or has only just arrived, with the exception of, say, Brett and Sean. That's pretty much it. Like, everybody else has only just arrived or is just about to leave. Where was in- Mr. Perfect at this point? Mr. Perfect, yeah. So he was, he'd retired from the ring because of his insurance policy. He wasn't in WCW by this point, but he just retired. He wasn't, he wasn't wrestling. The- I know from uh, from my further dalliances that he commentates on 96, I think. He does. Yeah, he does some commentary in 96. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> he isn't very good. Terrible. You like, like you were bloody sucking Vince off earlier for his commentary. He needs someone good next to him, which, which I think is probably fair for most commentators, to be honest. But with old Perfect next to him, yeah not good it it was almost as bad as this rumble well going back to that rumble number 12 is timothy well in his thong in his thong he's one of well done and they're called well done because one of them's called timothy well and the other one's called stephen dunn Um, classic um then it's uh number 13 is bushwhacker luke who lasts 12 seconds in this one so so he gets four times as long as owen hart <laughs> that is the absolute thing to take away from Bushwacker Luke's appearance here. Yes. He gets four times the amount of time in the ring than Owen Hart. Yeah, that's absolute disgrace. Yeah. Um, number fourteen is Jacob Blue. Um, Eli comes in almost immediately after the other ones thrown out. Eli. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, that's right. They did that pretty much. They did that three or four times. I'm pretty sure Mo does the same thing. Like so, Mabel oh. comes in straight after Mo, and I think oh. it all seems to happen very similarly throughout the match. Um, go just knocking through those to a little bit quickly because then we've got Bundy who comes in, who is in only in it. So bear in mind, they've just put him into a program with the Undertaker. He's going to fight him at WrestleMania 11. Okay, it's, it's the biggest match of the Undertaker's year, basically, is going to be against this guy. And then he lasts three minutes in the Royal Rumble, and he's thrown out by Mabel, who at this point was still pretty much a joke babyface. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask, actually, because when Mo and Mabel came down, I couldn't remember if they were heel or babyface at this point. They were babyfaces at this point. They were still babyface. Yeah. So when they turned heel, did they... So I can remember basically Mabel become no Mo becomes basically Mabel's manager and they get rid of Oscar, don't they? Uh, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So was Oscar ever a heel with Mo and Mabel? No, no. The last thing they did, I can't remember who it was. They lost a match. I think it might have been a tag team title match, the Smoking Guns. And after the match, they attack the Smoking Guns. Oscar tries to stop them, and he then he attack Oscar, and that's the last you ever see of Oscar. Right. Okay. But at this point, they're still baby faces, and Bundy is eliminated by Mabel. Um, is, is that the most anyone on a podcast has ever talked about men on a mission? <laughs> I hope so. I, I really hope. I doubt it because, you know, as I said in the, I know, you know, when I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is a brand new concept. Three white guys in their thirties talking about pro wrestling, but I was probably exaggerating just a little bit. It's probably been done once or twice before, so I imagine their names have come up once or twice. Shame, so I thought we were genuinely onto a new one there. Oh well, we could probably make the whole series about men on a mission if you want, just charting their entire career. No, I meant, I meant about the podcast. I thought we were onto a brand. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, don't you know? Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still you know, it's still pretty cutting edge. But you know, perhaps one or two people may have done it before. My main memory of Mabel, just so we don't escape the subject too quickly, is uh, when the three of us moved into a house together, and on the day after we'd moved in, you two sat down to watch uh, SummerSlam '95. Yeah. Which was obviously King Mabel, as he was then, against Diesel for the title. Yeah. A match I've never seen and will never see unless. <laughs> so we we years ago we tried to start we started watching every pay per view, didn't we? Yes. Together, and then we got up to I think we got up to In Your House too. Maybe I I always remember it as getting up to about ninety six. Um, and the reason but that might be because I also tried to do it on my own once and got to about the same point and, and just stopped. I got to about mid 96 and I just stopped. I think it's because I just didn't watch it in 96. 96 is where I took a break for a while. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, and it's also not that good, that it's not that good either. Um, there's still a lot of dross on the undercard. So I just didn't. Yeah, I just couldn't could never see 96 through. But yeah, um, I, I think it was we've got to about. I think we got to about in your house six or seven, I think. Yeah. So I also as well, again, talk about that sort of thing. So I've done that before. And for me, my my personal golden period mm-hmm. is basically like 87 to 90. That is my, that's my era. That's the stuff that I love. And I can go back and watch any card of that. That's the, that is the fucking, the creme de la creme, that bit. I think mine is, even though this was when I first started watching it, I think mine is anything from 98, 99 or 2000. I think I could watch, I think I'd go back and watch any show from that. I could watch a random episode of Raw and still be like, yeah, oh, this is this is easy to watch. 
goes down like a fine wine. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think I'm probably with you, Ben. I think just because it holds so many good memories for me as well. I just think you can also, I think, I, I hate to be the person who says, oh, everything was better in the Attitude Era, because it wasn't. Everything wasn't better. But I just think fundamentally, you can watch those shows because everything, there's something happening all the time in every segment, and that that's all you need. It just it just means that it's a far easier watch. It never gets boring, even if it gets even if it's rubbish, it never gets boring. Well, and and let's be honest, the main selling point is Val Venus. <laughs> well, that, there's that too, obviously. Yeah. Go on, Sean Morley. Let's move on to number sixteen, which is Mo, as we've already discussed. Um, he came in and again lasted. Now this was interesting. I think this is a they got on wikipedia it says he, he was in the ring for three seconds now I, i'm not sure he was in the ring for that long and there's a thing where before shortly before this earlier on in the in the show i think actually when bushwhacker luke comes out jerry lawler says in commentary bushwhacker luke holds the record for the quickest um elimination when mo comes in he runs to the ring slides under the bottom rope and immediately immediately gets um back body dropped over the top by bundy Mm. straight away and Lawler says oh it's a new record he's beaten the record now either he did beat the record and since then WWF have just completely forgotten about it and decided to not worry about it or they just didn't execute it properly and he didn't manage to get out of the ring quick enough yeah no because the things they think about the the Bushwhacker one he literally gets in the ring through the ropes and gets clothesline straight over again and out yeah. Um, whereas obviously he goes across the ring and goes out the other side. He does. No way it could be quicker. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It would. It, it probably isn't. But it. It. I just thought maybe they just didn't execute it properly and he went out slower than he was supposed to. Um. And then after straight after Mo, because obviously he's just been eliminated as immediately as he got in the ring, is Mabel. So again, they did the same same thing where the the second member of the team come out as soon as the first one had been eliminated. Um. 18 is the second Bushwhacker Butch, 19 seconds, so he lasts a seven seconds longer than his brother, or his cousin, I should say. And then we have number 19, Lex Luger, is probably about the biggest name left to come out of the, the curtain by this point. Um, Luger had, obviously, you know, he had a pretty disappointing time in WWF, I think, in general. I think it, it, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. So- never worked did it they never kind of got an angle for him he the fans never connected they tried to recreate hogan in a time that people didn't want hogan or a new hogan or that version of, of the babyface anymore and it just it never quite worked despite all of the money and the promo they put pumped into him the lex express him body slamming yokozuna on that big boat or whatever it was juggling all that sort of stuff like yeah, it never, never quite connected with the fans. And at the time, especially in 94, they wanted Brett as well. They did. Yeah, they did. And also with Luger, he's just not very good. No, he's not. He, I noticed this. Go back to how much arm is on show. Doesn't wear elbow pads, which I never noticed. And I was a bit, obviously, he's got his metal forearm, but he's just... He's just, yeah, he just, he looks like, well, he looks like what he is, a bodybuilder who walked into a wrestling ring. So he seems more intent on posing. But one thing I did realise in my research is that his middle name is Wendell. (laughs) (laughs) 
They should have changed it. They should have just changed the character, called them Lex Wendell Luger, oh, and it could have been like it could be like an early JBL type thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, the thing thing is, I think there'll be some people who who will like if you watch some of Luger's stuff in the late eighties, early nineties in in Jim Crockett and WCW, he's he's not terrible. He does have some good good matches, um, and he had some good moments. But by this point, I you know he's just a guy who. His offense is really dated. I think that's the thing. He's just a really dated kind of guy, even down to the look, even down to his look. He's kind of he's sporting a look that was big three years before. And by this point, WWE are into smaller guys, Brett, Sean, etc. Even Diesel, tall, but he's not particularly like built up. He's not particularly bulky. People that were big, i.e. Razor Ramon, Scott Hall could work. Yeah, yeah, true. So he's just he's just a, he's just behind the times and and as you say like if it, it, this is the original kind of trying to ram someone down the fans' throats push basically was Luger and um and it just didn't it just didn't work for him and it, and in that moment old man just walked out I th- I think he's got offended by the fact that uh, that I'm talking smack about Lex Luger yeah. he's back now he's back now he's had his little he's had his little sulk he's come back he's stomped off had a good stomp around the living room <laughs> well I. I just put my head out the window to see if the the, the old Lex Express had come to the uh, bus stop, but it hasn't, sadly. That's disappointing. Although I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Lex Express as well, not Espress, as I just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we come to number 20, Mantar, or Mantor. I don't oh, know how you want to say my, it. My absolute hero. <laughs> Jim Cornette's... Uh, um, latest charge uh mantar um it uh, he just is so weird he just looks like a baby that's all i could think because he's wearing the really weird onesie with which doesn't have any stuff covering his thighs he's he looks like he's just like rubbed a load of stuff on his forehead as if he's trying to concentrate on something because he's got the, like, Flash... Um, who's the villain in Flash Gordon? Ming. Yeah, Ming. He's kind of got, like, a Ming look to him. Ming Merciless. He's just weird, and he's in it. It feels like he's in it for about half an hour. I don't know how long he's in it for, but I just remember seeing this little baby man just rolling around on the floor looms. The weird thing is, is that he's got his hair. He's kind of got, like, antlers... His hair is like antlers. Yeah. And he and that means that he had to live his real life with that hair. <laughs> like he had to go to the bank and the supermarket and stuff like that with hair like that. He's oh, not hair. <laughs> <laughs> He's um he had a grand total of seventeen matches on WWE television in his career. And that's it. Nothing else. That's that's all he did. He did come back very briefly. Um, as a different character, Tank, who was a, one of the original members of the Truth Commission in mid-97, um, but literally was around for like a couple of weeks. And then they were like, yeah, bomb him off. He's rubbish. Um, so that was that was his entire career. And this is probably the highlight. Nine minutes in the Royal Rumble, which was that half an hour feeling time, wasn't given any eliminations, though. So you know, they, they obviously weren't that high on him. Well, you, you know why. It's because if he'd done one, he would have had to have done them all. I guess so. You'd have yeah. had to clear the ring. Well, they'd have gone, there's an oversized baby that's <laughs> really strong in the ring. And if, if I was in the ring, I'd have just chucked myself out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, 21 is Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war. Yes. Uh, now he sticks around for 13 minutes. So he's yeah. long, he's one of the longest running guys in the match. I, That's incredible, isn't it? Just incredible. Yeah, I, I didn't realise that. I was looking, When I was watching it, I was like, he's someone. Like, <laughs> he is someone. You know, much, like, much like Stephanie Wyand is related yeah. to someone, he is someone too. Yeah. And I was like, oh, just incredible. And then how old was he when he was? He was 22. Yeah, he was young. He was, he was young. Oh, my word. What? He's almost as young as Mantor looks. <laughs> 22 was Henry Godwin Hog Henry O. Godwin Henry Orpheus Godwin is his full name oh yeah it's amazing I don't know i got to be honest I don't know what Phineas's middle initial stands for so I know it's Phineas I. Godwin but I don't know what the I is for Ignatius probably oh that's wonderful it just says Phineas I there's no oh that is upsetting so basically he might not have a middle initial yeah is it wait wait a minute have they done it just to make the im 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 called pig ah oh. they wouldn't do that oh that's cynical cynical that is i tell you what uh so i'm looking at the godwins mm. there was a henry o godwin slash shanghai pierce pierce yes and uh, Phineas I. Godwin was obviously Tax Slazinger, which is one of the uh, Tex Slazingers. <laughs> one of the great names. What a shame he's not called Tax Slazinger. He could be IRS's uh, like uh, second. It would have been brilliant. Tax, tax Slazinger, so you can buy him in Sports Direct. Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favourite things ever. Old man's heard this a million times. Alan St. Maximan, who plays for Newcastle. Yeah, he used to play uh, for um, Monaco, and I think he may have played for Lille. I might not be right there, but when he he's got long dreadlocks, and he used to play in a Gucci sweatband, very very fancy, very flat, flat like flat fancy Dan. He then moves to Newcastle, preseason friendly, Slazenger headband. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty three was Billy Gunn of the Smoking Guns, and he was followed up by his brother Bart. This was obviously pre anybody caring about the Smoking Guns. Billy Gunn with a tremendous slide into the ring. He goes he goes halfway across the ring. It's almost as good as his slide into the ring that he does during the Foley Rock match where he wins the title for the first time on Raw when he batters Ken Shamrock. His slide into the ring is magnificent. He goes all across the ring. He must have been properly oiled up. <laughs> that, that match is going to come up, I imagine, at least twice an episode. That match, I think, the uh, Rock Mankind match on Raw from, I think, January the 4th, 99. Um, yeah, absolutely magnificent. Yeah, so expect that to come up quite a lot in the future. Uh, quick correction Alan St. Maximum did play for AS Monaco. Yep, yeah, he was at Nice when he was wearing the Gucci headband. So apologies. <laughs> I'm sure everyone would be very glad you cleared that one up. We 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 have had letters and all kinds. Um, 25 is Bob Backlund. Uh, oh, 16 seconds in the ring for him. Again, he is attacked before he gets to the ring by Bret Hart and then gets in and is chucked out pretty quickly by Lex Luger. I gotta be honest, Bret Hart's coming off a little bit whiny, isn't he? <laughs> like he's yeah, I'm not not very impressed with his attitude in this rumble, to be honest. Kind of feels like he wanted to be part of it, but he wasn't invited. Well, so the 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 thing that the thing that I kind of assumed would happen 
the reason why the title match was earlier was because I thought maybe they'd have the opportunity to be in it as well. Because, again, with the, with the Rumble this light, you could imagine, because they've done it before where they've had people from have, who were in matches earlier in the Rumble as well, but they obviously made the conscious decision to not do that this one. Yeah. Why? I don't. I don't. I mean, it's certainly, you know, you thought that... I think they, they tended to have a rule at the time that if you were a champion or someone facing a champion, you couldn't be in the Rumble. It, I mean, it wasn't an official rule, but go back and look. But pretty much none of the champions or their contenders are in the in the Royal Rumble match right. around this time. The, the, if you were in a match that was before the Rumble that wasn't for a belt, those people tended to be, to show up in the Rumble, but nobody else. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they could have easily at least put I don't know the Undertaker in. I mean, he wasn't. He was, you know, he wasn't wrestling for about. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but anyway, Bob Backlund in and out pretty quickly. Then is Stephen Dunn, twenty six. In his thong. In his thong. <laughs> and then twenty twenty seven, Dick Murdoch. Oh, uh, what? This was. <laughs> I was like, what? So oh. Dick, Dick Murdoch is again another one, another wrestler from sort of the Backlund generation. He was actually quite a big star at one point. He was Dusty Rhodes' tag team partner for a number of years. And uh, but by this point, like nobody knows who he is, and that's not his fault. This is you know this is a this is a um, fan base that has been brought up on the idea that basically wrestling began with Hulkamania, um, and nobody before that period counted for anything, including Dick Murdoch in terms of the WWF's narrative. And I don't know why. Like they arrived at Dick Murdoch as a guy to bring in for one night and put him in the Royal Rumble. I just, it, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone will be able to explain this to me. It's very strange. Well, um, I was going to, I was going to apologize. He looks out of shape and he looks fat and disgusting and horrible and old. And they had no version. Then I was going to apologize. You know, you know, I shouldn't say that. I mean, apparently he's a member of the clan. So yeah, there but, are some, there are some dodgy stuff about stuff about him. But yeah, also, though, he was old. I mean, he he really was quite old by this point. He'd been wrestling for close to three decades by this point. So, um, yeah, he was pretty old. But I just don't know why they chose him. Like, um, you, you, you're thinking like, OK, we, we've got only 28 people we can chuck in the Rumble. We could do with some other people. We brought in Rick Martel. Where's Tito Santana? Come on, that's what we want for tw- number 27. It's Tito Santana, not Dick Murdoch. Because no, one, no one's ever heard of him. No. no not a soul's heard of him. And he lasts five minutes. He's, he's one of the last people in the match. Strange one, that one. Unbelievable. Um, 28 is Adam Bomb. I'll tell you what. I used to love Adam Bomb. <laughs> I don't quite know why. He was colourful. He looked colourful. Yeah, and... What having watched stuff back, I'm even more confused <laughs> as to why because he's just not very good. No, he's 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 um, I used to quite like him, I think it was because he wore colorful outfits and he could do a uh, sort of uh, he could slingshot himself into the ring with a clothesline yeah. and he's quite a big guy, so he looked it looked quite impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did this exact same thing. So his place in the rumble is almost exactly the same as it was the previous year. So in 94, he comes out at number 30 and Vince McMahon on commentary, which I accept is probably one of the reasons why people moan about him said, Adam Baum is going to win the Royal rumble. As soon as he came out at number 30, he did exactly the same thing when Adam Baum came out at number 28 here. Um, 
But yeah. Well, he stays true to his convictions. That's true. He, he absolutely believes Adam Bomb is going to win the Royal Rumble. Or, or do you think it was an inside joke and they were taking the piss out of Adam? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's not nice. That's probably what it was. That's probably what it was. Um, 29 is Fatu. Rikishi, before he put on about 400 pounds of weight. Um, yeah, he's su- like I knew it was him, but even I had to do a double take. I was like, cool, look how slim he is. Well, I remember when Rikishi first turned up in like like late 99, the character Rikishi, and I and I thought, well, that looks like Fatu, but it can't be. He's like yeah. humongous compared to what he used to be. And he's blonde. And he's blonde, yeah. And, they, and they've given him an extra name. And not only that, but they're not even spelling Fatu the same. Crazy. Well, well, you know why, don't you? I don't. Why? P-H fat. Ah, yeah. Ah, just got it. Just got it. Oh, man, they're all coming out today. Hog and pig and now (laughs) Fatu. Um, And then number 30 in the match was the ever-reliable crush. I I mean, I'm looking at you both right now and the enthusiasm on your face (laughs) and the pair of your faces for crush. I mean, I mean, we're about two hours into the podcast now. So I I think fatigue is is, is really hammering home. But the the mere mention of the word crush has really brought the energy level surging back. I mean, I mean, talk about what's it called when um, nominative determinism. Do you know what I mean? Like when like your name will determine your outcome and what you'll do to people. And fuck me. Crush is is apt. Yeah, he, 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 he got an awful match out of Macho Man. Yeah. <laughs> that match was, was hindered by the stupid rules, though, in fairness. But so we've gone through that, that list of, of, of jobbers um, that is supposed to be a rumble. Now, I, the end, ending's done really well. And Shawn Michaels does a tremendous job. Um, making it look like he's been eliminated or about to be eliminated, and I there's a bit where I actually genuinely think he's really struggling to actually get back in the ring at one point as you see like swings himself a couple of times and you see it, the look in his eyes he's like fuck I'm I'm gonna drop it in a minute do I mean and gets back in and it's it's done really well well they they protected him didn't they because if you watch it on the live when it's actually like as it's happening. Bulldog throws him out, and then the camera doesn't go to Shawn Michaels at all. They stay no. away from him completely. And that, I think, is simply because they needed to make sure he could do it without, like, actually both of his feet touching the floor before yeah. they showed what happened. Um, but one thing bothers me about it, is, and it's not anything, any criticism of it, it's actually more like I'm going through some kind of alternative reality. Because I always thought this is where the legacy of Shawn Michaels skinning the cat came from. So he gets back into the ring with, because he's obviously hanging from the top rope and he gets back into the ring. And I always thought he skinned the cat to get back in on the replay of him dangling from that top rope. It doesn't look like he does. And I'm all of a sudden like, hang on, this is, I'm sure this is where he, when he first skinned the cat to get back in the ring. And therefore he's kind of like carried that legacy on with him throughout his career but i don't think it is and i I, my mind is blown i think he'd probably done it before actually properly before um so i'm not quite sure like where the mythology of that comes from but i'm pretty sure he'd done it already maybe i I thought this was it i thought this was the moment like because it's obviously 
I mean, regardless of how bad the match is, let's not forget this was quite a big moment. Shawn Michaels wins the Royal Rumble and he's done it from number one. He's going on to WrestleMania. So this is kind of one of those moments in your career where legacy things happen from. And I just always thought that this is where it had happened from. Clearly not, because he doesn't. He doesn't do it. I'm sure he, what he does in the end is roll under the bottom. Right yeah, to get he gets in. himself back up. He gets his, his left leg is on the apron. He gets his other leg up. Then he lays back and rolls underneath the rope. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then knocks Bulldog off the top rope as Bulldog is celebrating winning the Rumble. Um, but yeah, I my mind was blown. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. This has completely changed. The, <laughs> the whole course of history has been changed by the fact that I, this is where I thought the Shawn Michaels <laughs> skin in the cat legacy came from. Yeah, it was good, though. Like, again, a very, a very clever finish. Um, obviously, they, they kind of they they kind of go a bit more they started to experiment a little bit more with rumble endings you know obviously in 94 they did the joint winners with um with uh luger and, and brack and then this year they kind of do this ending obviously gets replicated again i think it's in 97 with austin um where he actually does get eliminated but sneaks back in so they've started to kind of experiment a little bit with the way they end the rumble match which is probably quite a good thing really because it means it's a little bit less predictable yeah yeah yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I, I think it's a, a decent enough ending. Although I don't know if I'm entirely convinced because the Bulldogs' music comes on. I think if the Bulldogs' music hadn't come on, I would like it more. But the fact that it does feels cheap to me because the referees are the ones who call for the bell. The bell wasn't called for because they were watching Shawn Michaels, and so the music shouldn't have come on. Yeah, I guess so, but. I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. Yeah, it works. I mean, it works better in. I imagine you've got to take it into the context of it is in front of a live crowd. It works. It's a lot more effective in front of the live crowd when the music just kicks in. And I suppose. Yeah, it did get them popping. Like the crowd popped a little bit when Bulldog seemed to have won it, and that kind of helped them build that surprise of then Shawn Michaels coming back in and knocking David Boy Smith off the ropes, and now it's it's matched. It's interesting as well. The crowd's reaction to Shawn Michaels is quite positive throughout most of the card. Yeah, it is, especially at the end. The, the, you know, I mean, it's similar in a way to Flair in 92. Like, yeah, he comes in, he's obviously the heel, comes in at number three, lasts the whole match, wins the match. And there's almost this grudging respect of, in a kayfabe sense of how well he's done to make it all yeah. that way and win it. It, it, it. So that I feel that's what it is. It's, it's basically a time when people respected in-ring, um, like, ability but from a cafe perspective as opposed to kind of uh the insider perspective um which was demonstrated the previous year when diesel eliminated seven people and then suddenly everyone, uh, suddenly everyone was like, oh we really like diesel and started yeah. cheering for him same sort of thing um but yeah not a bad not a bad not a bad ending to a dreadful match yeah bad match yeah, yeah. um and, and then it just like we touched upon earlier with um with old Pamela Anderson, just gets a bit weird. Because, <laughs> like, she just stands behind Shawn Michaels as he's posing. Yeah. And, and uh, Shawn Michaels does sort of dance in her face a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and she kind of, like, she doesn't look uncomfortable, but it's just all a bit, I think, a bit like Tom said at the start, it's kind of a bit, in these times, it feels a bit like, ooh, that's a bit that's a bit much, isn't it? Well I guess I guess the concept of having Pamela Anderson as a prize for whoever won the rumble is a bit <laughs> a bit dodgy in the first yeah. place, isn't it? Yeah. Um 
so i mean I, I know that the actual the prize is that she'll walk the winner to wrestle the, the you know the ring at wrestlemania but but still it the, the concept itself is a bit dodgy uh regardless of that so yeah and then she leaves the ring presumably to let Shawn michaels celebrate on his own although i i, I can't imagine she's overly bothered about this whole this whole deal either like just in general like i'm not really going to put much into this to be honest i don't are you saying that she was there for the money well i mean far be it for me to believe that she's you know she, she's there for the money but yeah pretty much yeah it's tough and plus it's a really impossible thing to do as well isn't it she literally comes out and she waves and then she stands there and then she walks back and tries to understand pat patterson and then <laughs> she's done until mania yeah oh, um that's something i wanted to talk about my guy who comes down whenever there's a run-in with the amazing hair with the blonde hair and the bolt and the bold patch his name is Rene goulet and he is He's a, a wrestler from the 70s and 80s. He's, he's my boy. Just another. He's basically him and Tony Guerrilla, who's another one of the guys who comes down all the time, um, used to wrestle for WWF throughout the 70s and 80s. They used to come in the territory and then back and then. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Rene Goulet. Is- I, do you know what? If, if nothing else comes to this podcast, I'm glad I knew now, now know who his name is, so I can look at pictures of him whenever I want to laugh. All right. Well, I mean, I guess you know we, we've gone two hours, we've gone through the entire show, so we should try and wrap up a little bit. Um, um fine. Go, go on, Tom. Well, let's wrap up the show. Let's stay on for a little bit. Oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna just, I was gonna, you know, give you also the last a chance to kind of come give your final thoughts on the on the show. So, Tom, seeing as you you know are so eager. Um, you carry on. What's your final thoughts on on the Royal Rumble 1995? Uh, grim, uh, make grim, grim Rumble. Um, obviously, you know, but by the fact that there's no guarantee, there's so obvious who's going to win it. Um, undercard's decent though. I'd probably give it out of out of five. I'd give it a solid two. Okay. Um, best match. Uh, best match. Um, I'm going to go with Razor and uh, Jarrett. Cool. Oh, man, your thoughts and best match. I'd agree with Tom on the best match, but it's a very close run thing with the tag match. I don't think it's very good. The Rumble's bad, but there's always the novelty factor of the Rumble in that you also know that some of the shithouses that have come out, they ain't going to last for long. So you can kind of, I can kind of live with that. So the worst match for me was the title match. I don't um I I didn't like all the other stuff. I like all the shenanigans around it. I'd give it a one point eight out of five. <laughs> Amazing. Don't that much. Yeah, unfortunately I've had to take point two off because I've just looked up pictures of Rene Goulet. <laughs> a little bit concerned that Tom's masturbating over pictures. <laughs> because one, he's dead. He died. Two years ago. Two years ago. And two, he's not very attractive when he was alive. No, but that hair, old man. If you, do, if you tried, if you tried, you could have hair like that. <laughs> you know what? That's why you're masturbating over him. Dirty bugger. He's got a picture of you and he's put his face over him, but yeah, he's just yeah, got the photo, hair. Photoshopped over it. That's, That's lovely. And Ben, your thoughts? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a... I think, 
I was surprised by it in, in this time around. I thought it was going to be horrendous. I think I said to you when you when old man, you said to Tom, the only note you need to take is that it's um, whatever it was, horrific or whatever. And I said, just add the word utter to that. I thought that the whole thing was dreadful. But actually, when I watched it, I was like, the, the undercard's fine. You know, there's no for me, there's no problem with the under, you know, undercard. I even like the the long drawn out world championship match. I'd say the worst of it, worst of it is the Undertaker versus IRS. But it wasn't offensive. I, it, you know, it, I could live with it. Um, I agree. I think the opener is the best match of the night. Um, closely followed again by the tag team championship match. But the Rumble itself is it's bad it's really bad it's got to be it's got to be amongst the worst i mean i've watched in terms of being like actually actively um assess the rumbles i've watched at least half of them in that way now and i would say that this is the worst i've seen of them um the one the first problem is that yes there's a lack of star power and therefore the thing they try and do to make up for that which is to make it one minute entrant per person makes it worse because nothing has any chance to breathe or grow or you know turn into anything so there's really not not a lot else going on other than Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog just going right the way through the match the only other thing I can really think of is Bret Hart coming down and attacking Owen and Bob Backlund which is I think the reason why they had him do it because there's nothing else there's nothing else to to to, as a side plot to that to that central storyline and to be honest for the most part they're kind of anonymous you don't really focus on Shawn Michaels and British Bulldog throughout it you just occasionally see them spring up so yeah I think a really bad rumble overall I'd give it a if we're going into decimal places which I hate doing but if we're going to do it I'm going 2.2 out of five but yeah um yeah not a good not a good show um, I'm going to be honest I, I feel like you're being generous with that point too but well, I just I, I think the rest of the show is fine. I think the rest of the, like the, I've seen far worse shows than the rest of this this um, card. It's just that rumble is really poor. The good thing about it is it's short. It's not a long rumble. It's less than 40 minutes long. So, yeah. Well, I, I think that's why I can stomach it. Yeah. I, yeah. I do think if it had been that cast of characters and it had been normal length, so it had been an hour, I'd have probably... I probably wouldn't have made the podcast and I'd probably still been crying. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing I will say about this show, and as I'm, I don't know how many, what kind of what era of shows we're going to be doing, we haven't really discussed this, but the good thing is at least about these shows that they're short, like that, like in comparison to how they are now, like every mm. WWF pay-per-view being six hours long or however long it is, like at least this is like, this is probably about two and a half, just under three hours. Yeah. So it's not it is not that much time to take up, you know. No, no. So it's it's also it's not going to take it that too much time. But I, yeah, it was all right. I didn't I didn't hate it at all. Is what I say. That's the shining review you're going to get. I didn't hate it. <laughs> well, I think um I think that's a good a good place to leave the our podcast today. Um as yeah. as, as as Tom's alluded to, we don't really know what we're going to do next, do we? No, but I can look tell what we want to do immediately next. Right. Do you boys fancy a quick game? Oh, hello. All right. This is, this is so, unexpected. No, it is. I just thought about it on the spot. I've been working on it through, so hang on a second. Lovely, <laughs> lovely radio silence here. Oh, <laughs> oh here we go. So, the game, as this game is called... <laughs> It's back and forth. It's it's a very unoriginal um, concept. I've stolen it from uh, 
from BBC 606, Sutton Death, as they call it. I am going to give you a topic right. to go head to head in telling me one answer. Oh, so I'm going to give you a list. I'm going to give you a specific topic mm-hmm. and then you have to go blow for blow and answer me a question. So the subject this week is holders of the WWF slash WWE European Championship. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> so, so I'm going to I'm going to let old man go first. Yeah. And then he's going to give me one, and then we're going to go to you, and then back and forth. Okay, thank you. And I'm going to let Old Man go first, because I don't want to sign patronising Old Man. He is he is probably the number one draft pick. So I'm going to, I want you to go first. Wow. So, starting out, give me a European champion. Elo Brown. Correct. Four-time holder. David Boy Smith. Correct. He was the first person to win it. Shawn Michaels. Uh, he was the second person to win it. That is correct. Triple H. Uh, yes, that is also correct. Hang on a second. You're going too fast and trying to mark him off my screen. <laughs> uh, yes, Triple H won it. Uh, Matt Hardy. Yep. There he is. Uh, William Regal. Yep. Chris Jericho. Oh, God. Yep, there he is. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Oh, Val Venus. Yes. Come on, boy. Uh, X Pac. Oh. Yeah. Billy Gunn. Oh no. I've got no Billy Gunn. I was I was I was starting to run out, mate. I was starting to run out. I had Al Snow up my up my sleeve, and that was it. That was the only one I could I, I could definitely remember was a European. Was, was it the Road Dog? So do you want me to go through? I'll go through the list. Yeah. Al Snow, Bradshaw, oh. Christian, oh. Crash Holly, oh. Dallas Page, Wow, Eddie Guerrero, mm-hmm. Jeff Hardy, Jeff Jarrett. Uh. <laughs> Mark Henry. Yeah. Wow. Naked Midian. I think Midian found it in the trash and, <laughs> and just took it around with him for a while. Um, Owen Hart. All right. Henry Saturn. Mm. Rob Van Dam. Shane McMahon. Of course. Spike Dudley. And Test. Oh. oh well, that was that was fun. That was that was a real surprise. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, that was a real surprise. Some, some I feel like we should take in turns to do. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So then, so what? So old man, you host next week. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, so ne- next week we'll go for name a WWE <laughs> European <laughs> champion. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so as I say, we don't really know where we're going to go next. We don't know when the next episode of this is going to come out, if if it ever will, quite frankly, who knows? Um, and we don't know what we're going to do. We've got no, we've got it is random. It is completely. I, I think what we'll do, seeing as old man pick this one, though, we'll probably let Tom pick the next one, and we'll maybe go around like that, just do something like that. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll we'll, we'll be back at some point in the future, hopefully. Um, so boys, say say goodbye. Say goodbye to the listeners. Uh, goodbye, ladies. <laughs> uh, 
Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> so basically, Tom insulted all our listeners, and old man didn't say anything to our listeners because there will be no ladies listening to this podcast at all. Um, so yeah, so thanks for listening. That was uh, that was really kind of you to get all the way to this point as well, and then just get that torrent of abuse at the end. Um, and as I say, hopefully we'll be back in the not too distant future.